Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, episode number 274 of the show. It is I, your friend, your good friend, Big Dave Unger, the host of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, coming to you for, I think, the first time in 2022. I know we did some stuff there at the tail end of uh, 2021, but as I said, episode 274 of the show and here is what is going on on this episode and why it's coming out at this point in time. Um, near the end of 2021, before we did the Swaggy Awards, I think you guys heard me do an episode where the one and only Ray Cash came on with me. And we began this project called The Big Four Project, which is a chronological anthology looking at the WWE's Big Four pay-per-views. In chronological order, of course, hence the term chronology. That's kind of how, you know, chronology works, that sort of thing. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, we're going to do this, go through starting at the beginning and cover these WWE big four pay-per-views two at a time. So each chapter would be a recap and kind of the backstory and, and things like that covering two of these events at a time. So chapter one was WrestleMania one and WrestleMania two. We are now bringing you chapter two of this, although it is not Ray Cash joining me this time. Instead, it is the one and only PC Tunney from the chairshot.com where we remind you to always use your head. And uh, Tunney came on to talk chapter two, focusing in on WrestleMania three and Survivor Series 1987, the very first Survivor Series. Uh, it's a really, really good 
kind of discussion of these two events. And I think it's appropriate because as I'm recording this intro aspect of this episode, it is exactly 35 years to the day of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 in Detroit, Michigan at the Pontiac Silverdome, March 29th, 1987. Here it is, March 29th, 2022. What the fuck is going on? How is it possibly been that many years since this happened i i mean unfreaking real 35 years but it seemed extremely important to get this uh intro recorded on this day it seemed appropriate and you know get this episode out you know especially as now we're sitting here about four days out from day one of wrestlemania 38 so i you know looked at the calendar said oh my goodness this is 35 years ago today so that's what we're doing on this episode uh, when we get to the Ron Burgundy jazz flute sort of aspect of things and uh, Tony and I will start talking, we do talk a little bit about the new product, talk about WrestleMania 38, kind of what we're looking forward to, talk a little bit about the Cody Rhodes speculation. None of that's really changed since we recorded that. I think we recorded that Saturday a few days ago. And only thing that's really changed is now we know for sure Seth Rollins has a match at WrestleMania 38 with Vince McMahon's handpicked opponent. Now, Lots of people think it's going to be Cody Rhodes. There's an equal number of people who think we're being swerved. It'll be somebody completely different and largely disappointing to all of us. Who knows? Cody's coming in at some point in time. Whether whether they bring him in and how they bring him in to kind of get the best reaction um, from the fans, that remains to be seen. But WWE, for all their faults, uh, it does pretty well as far as surprises and and things of that nature things of this magnitude especially when they revolve around wrestlemania so we talk a little bit about kind of what we're looking forward to from wrestlemania 38 the way the card's shaping up also did a little bit of an acknowledgement to the brand new or pretty brand new aw women's champion thunder rosa who's been a guest on the dwi podcast many times well at least several times a friend of the uh chair shot network so we did kind of touch bases on her big win over Britt baker and capturing the title the AEW women's title, which is now the women's division is starting to kind of come into their own a little bit more than before. And then you'll hear Tony and I discussing WrestleMania three and survivor series, 1987. It's a really, really good episode. Some really good stuff that we get into, um, as far as everything, you know, going on here in chapter two of the big four, focusing on WrestleMania three, WrestleMania three survivor series, 87, and if you guys haven't heard the story of Survivor Series 87 and how that kind of came to be and some of the politics and, and just, you know, Vince McMahon kind of going all in, drawing lines in the sand and really just no prisoner's attitude about that pay-per-view and what went into it, um, I think you'll find that fascinating. So that's what we got here on this episode. We are going to uh, to kick this thing off with a little bit of the old Ron Burgundy jazz flute to welcome my friend, my bestie, PC Tunney to the show. And then you will hear our discussion of everything related to a little bit about the pr- current product with WrestleMania 38 coming up. Then Big Four Project Chapter 2. I will come back at the end and close this puppy down. So, Ron, let's get to it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, 
long overdue. It is chapter two of the Big Four Project. We have got a very cool topic of conversation that we're going to have today. I am joined for this chapter of the Big Four Project by the very best friend in the world of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. It's it's reciprocal. It's a reciprocal love fest. It's not unrecorded love or anything. We just it's just you know it's it, it, it's it's flowing back and forth. You know, kind of like feel the flow that sort of thing. It is the one and only the commissioner of I don't know what. I mean, the Mister Chair Shot himself. The one and only PC Tony. Tony, how the hell are you, man? I I'm doing well. I would say our relationship would be like a ga- a good game of pong, right? It just keeps going back and forth. That's right. Yeah, just a little ping and pong going on, a little yin and <laughs> yin and yin and yang and that sort of thing. It's uh, it's always good to have you on the show, and I always enjoy coming on your show, and it's just a fun time. And thank you for being a part of this this installment of the Big Four because. The, yeah, the, like I said, these are two of the bigger ones that happened in the in the long history of these big four pay per views. Yeah, I mean, one pretty much let them know that they were they were going to make money, they were on to something, um, and then the other just started the 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 windfall of what was to come. Right? I mean, yeah. that was that's 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 huge. It is. Um, before we get into the big four, though, and, and, and if anybody listening in at this point is wondering, well, what the hell are they talking about this week? Or this chapter is going to focus on WrestleMania three and Survivor Series 1987, the very first Survivor Series, the first non WrestleMania pay-per-view that we got from WWE. Um, and and we'll, we'll touch on the matches, of course. Uh, we'll do some backstory could approach WrestleMania three a little bit different than Survivor Series for reasons that will be explained as we go along. But before I get into that, I did this with with Ray for Chapter One. I want to do it with you here, kind of before we go into the past. Let's look a little bit in the present and into the immediate future. Um, just talk about the current product a little bit because you know this attitude of aggression has always been focused primarily on the current product, and now we kind of scaled that back a little bit. But I still, obviously, as you know. Watch the current stuff as well. Um, we are lit. We are exactly as we were recording this one week away from night one of WrestleMania 38. Uh, you and I and, and DPP and, and uh, the phenomenally funky fresh AJ Belaz discussed this on DWI. What was it? 317 last night. Yes. And uh, and we talked about a lot of things and kind of like a, not a preview, but just kind of like what we were looking forward to. I want to touch base with you on something. So we talked a lot about the Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes scenario and how that might come to pass. And then something we didn't talk about on DWI that is topical for today uh, is Seth has been called into Vince McMahon's office for nine (laughs) o'clock Monday morning. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, Any ideas what that is all about and how does this play into the angle of what we think might be happening at WrestleMania? I have no idea. Maybe that's where he signs the deal to wrestle Cody Rhodes. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we, maybe we don't even see Cody Rhodes. Maybe Cody Rhodes isn't even coming to WWE. Maybe Seth Rollins just doesn't have a match at WrestleMania. I don't know. Maybe it's John Cena. I have no idea. I don't think it's any of those things personally, but we'll see. I would rather just seen him, you know, take over the show at the beginning of the show, come out with a chair and sit there for a good half hour. I thought that would be great television. 
<laughs> it would harken back to when uh, Daniel Bryan and them hijacked Raw those years ago. Well, and DX did it, didn't yep. it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be cool. And, and Cody coming in is kind of like the white knight to get control of the situation. Here's another thing I heard about, you know, talking about Cody, is that rumors are now circulating that WWE wants him to come in as the AEW version of Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare with the, you know, kingdom music, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, I do you want to see that version of Cody or do you want to see like the guy? Not Certainly not Stardust. I don't think you're going to get Stardust ever again. But, you know, as far as his return, what which variation of him would you prefer at this point? Well, I mean, first thing that comes to mind, though, is now Cody's if let's just say Cody's back and they're already telling him what, what he has to do and who he has to be. Isn't that why he left in the first place? Like why the fuck did he come back then? <laughs> Money. Lots of it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, um, I don't really care what he comes back as. I just would like to see him wrestle a bunch of different guys in the WWE right now as a WWE wrestling match too, you know, like with the production value, with the super awesome storyline behind it. Right. I mean, I, maybe they can use him better now than they could have before. And, and, you know, Vince is always about having someone go out and make a name for themselves outside the company and do something. And then respecting that it's, 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 there's a track record of that, um, in his superstars throughout the years. So Cody's back. Uh, I'm I'm here for it any which way they want to do it, you know, but just don't cut Ric Flair's hair and call him Spartacus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I exactly. I, I look at Cody's situation and you talked about Vince being OK with guys going away, coming back and, and kind of repackaging. Drew McIntyre is the best example of anybody in recent times. You know, the chosen one, that gimmick failed miserably, very star dusty kind of the way that it was presented. He goes away, reinvents himself, reinvents himself, comes back NXT champion, doing all this stuff. Now he's been WWE champion, you know, upper echelon of the card, no matter how you slice it. Who's Drew? Is Drew even on the card at WrestleMania? Uh, doesn't he have the neck injury? Oh, is or he? is he back? Uh, yeah, he's back. No, he's back from that. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, we don't, and we don't have like a big multi-man match for the you know finn needs well, you to defend the, the title or something you have the you have the um battle rumble well yeah yeah i mean th that's true but i think you know they're they always do like a multi-man ladder match for like one of the secondary titles um i don't think we're gonna get that this we're, year yeah we're recording sun saturday evening like dave said i have not watched smackdown from last night yet so i'm yeah. not sure if any of that happened yeah, I don't know. I mean, you got you look at the two secondary titles, Ricochet with the IC belt, Finn with the US title. Both of those guys, you'd say, wow, you could really wrap a really good ladder match involving either of them, if not both. That sort of thing. But or you could do a double ladder match where you have both titles hanging and then, you know. Yeah. You could you could get them both, you could get one, whatever, you know, you could keep going. Yeah, I I I think there's going to be more matches added. I mean, Oh, I, sure, don't, sure. I don't think you could have WrestleMania without the IC and United States title on the line. That would be pretty lame. But um, other than, you know, the whole Cody situation, whatever is going to come from that, give me three matches on the card, the three that you're looking forward to the most starting next well, week. Sure. I mentioned it on the DWI podcast this, this past weekend that um, 
Miz and Logan Paul versus the Mysterios, I think, is really cool. I want to see where Logan Paul goes with his WWE career, how how bad he wants to do it, how long he's going to stick around, or or you know how much he he comes around. Um, Charlotte and Ronda, I guess. I want to see if Charlotte wins. I want to see if LOL Charlotte wins comes through again. Do they give her another big win at WrestleMania? And then I I mean Brock and Roman, of course. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Especially like I've been, I predicted this like a year and a half ago, you know, I mean, I've been all over this storyline. If the rock comes out after the match is over and challenges Roman, I mean, I pretty much ain't nobody going to ever tell me shit about WWE wrestling ever again, because I've been, I've been talking about this literally for 18 months, Dave. It's true. You have. Um, and, and I've heard at least for multiple, more than one source speculation, that the rock might show up in Dallas and, lay the groundwork for once in a lifetime 2.0 perhaps in Hollywood right in in LA in Hollywood yeah down at SoFi so yeah I I think um I like the the, what you're saying about uh Miz and Logan Paul I mean if you're Logan Paul and you're coming into the industry um you couldn't really work with anybody better than the Miz and Rey Mysterio could you no and Logan Paul is not a small person either right yeah he's big guy He's athletic. We've seen what he can do in the ring. Like you made, you made the comment, or somebody did yesterday, that Jake's the better boxer. I don't think there's any disputing that. Uh, sure, but Logan might he be a better have, talker. He does have MMA training. It's at some point, to some degree, right? So he knows, like, he's not going to look out of place so much if he can just learn their style of of fighting. Of you know, of of how what they do. So, like you said, Rey Mysterio. What better person to be in the ring with? You know, and then of course, like the Miz is bulletproof. You know, <laughs> every every WrestleMania. I mean, look what he did with uh with um last year. Who was he in there with? The uh, fuck. And, um, bad Bunny. Yeah, Bad Bunny. I mean, a biggest one of the biggest stars in the world. And look at Bad Bunny came out of that looking so well that he ended up in the Royal Rumble this year. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think I I like that one. I think we talked about it yesterday. AJ Styles and Edge is the match that could conceivably steal. The whole weekend. Oh, yeah, sure. That's one I'm definitely looking forward to. Uh, I'm not jazz. I think, think I said it yesterday, Becky versus Bianca's not doing it for me. Um, I don't know why. It's just not. But yeah, we'll see. Did you? Go ahead. No, I was. I defer to you, bestie. I'm looking something up here on Twitter. I just liked something. Follow up DWI podcast at podcast DWI. It's where I liked it. So. This is Trish Stratus just tweeted this. Go ahead. You can read it out loud for the folks. It's a picture of Becky side by side. You can read that. What does it say? Toronto police have taken at Becky Lynch WWE into custody for unchampion-like behavior and not respecting legends. She's being charged with being a brat. (laughs) You know, I mean, if here's the thing, man, the whole everybody thinks that this Bianca injury angle is a work. Uh, I, I haven't heard anything to suggest it's not, but a lot of a lot of chirping by Trish towards Becky this past week, raising the specter, the possibility that could you get Trish versus Becky instead of Bianca versus Becky? I could see Vince kind of saying, you know, I'm not feeling this. Let's get Trish in here. Uh, We saw Lita give Becky one hell of a match, but you know, I mean, you think there would have been more build up to that though? Sure. I think that temperature would have been taken a while ago. I, I would think so. I would think so. I, I mean, you know, you're, you're, 
I mean, right now, if it's Becky and Bianca, I really don't see Becky dropping the belt. I don't either. Um, I, I know people want her to, but is she, you know, Bianca's not the right person for her to drop it to. They need, I don't know who that right person would be. I think maybe if Ronda wins, beat Charlotte at Mania, then you move towards unification match between Becky and Ronda at SummerSlam, and there's your big money match where you look and um, say, okay. Or a Bailey, a returning Bailey. Bailey, yeah, Bailey. Would be huge. I, I mean, I can't wait for Bailey to come back because honestly, you know, <laughs> Bailey is 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 damn near the best of them all right now. I mean, it's if she if she continues to grow and she comes back for another full season, you know, of pay per views and is and is even better again, she'll she'll have moved past them because right now I consider them all kind of equal. Yeah. But man, Bailey's just got something that the rest of them don't. Yeah, I think we need Bailey back in a big way. We need Oscar back in a big way as well. Two people who've been hurt, who um would add some much-needed depth to the women's roster. I I am actually remotely intrigued by the women's tag team title match, just to see how they do this. You know, I liked, you know, Carmella and Zelina on Raw, you know, basically fooling everybody, thinking we're fighting with each other, and then they hug it out in the middle of the ring, and it's all bullshit, and that's fine. Um, I, you know, we'll see. I think, I think this WrestleMania has got the potential to be really good. Brock Roman is a very intriguing matchup. Because we all think we know how it's going to go down. But I think most of us are like, there is that shred of doubt in the back of our minds. Like, you are talking Brock Lesnar. I understand the tribal chief. I understand all that stuff. Roman's been the champ a damn long time. You are talking Brock Lesnar. So, who knows, right? <laughs> I and Tune into the 318th edition of GWI Podcast for Saturday. Our, for our prediction shows. That's right. And it might be it might be a dual cast or a tri-cast or a quad cast. You never know. Um, True story. Before we move on to the first part of the this chapter of the Big Four, I know you're not the biggest AEW fan in the world. However, I did want to run. I wanted to talk to you about something because a friend of the network is now the AEW Women's World Champion, Thunder Rosa. She's been on your show. She's followed both of us. I sent her a DM. I slid up in her DMs, congratulated Ooh. her. I said, Did she respond? No, she didn't. I, oh. I don't think she can. You know, once you're in an AEW, it gets harder for them to, because they, they kind of approach it like WWE does, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I congratulated both her and Britt because I thought they both put on a hell of a match. Um, with the steel cage match, Thunder Rosa dethroning Britt Baker DMD. I was, I mean, people are like fucking stupid, man. I th- saw people getting on Britt about thumbtacks being gimmicked and Britt didn't take too kindly to that. And God showed people the damage that had been done to her. Um, you know, this is the one thing I, I, that I don't know what I want to ask you is, you know, your thoughts on Thunder Rosa person you've interviewed, somebody we all consider not, not a friend, but certainly more than just your normal wrestling acquaintance for those of us on the chair shot um, coming through, finally breaking through dethroning Brit hell of a match. Both women bled. This is the one thing AEW I'll give them credit. And I know there's a lot of people who don't, but they don't shy away from this. And yeah, the blood's overdone and we all know that, but not, you never see women bleed. Both these girls bled and bled quite a lot. What were your thoughts on Thunder Rosa breaking through? Your thoughts on that match and, and what it means to the AEW women's division? Yeah, I mean that they they finally got the women's division on the map with their their series of matches. You know, they've they've had some doozies. So, 
it's it's good to see that that division is is starting to come around in AEW, and I'm happy for that. While I'm not a fan of AEW, I still know what's going on. While I don't always watch the product, yeah, Thunder Rosa has worked really hard to get to where she's at. She's 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 a scrapper. She's she's tough. She she goes after what she wants, and she takes more. Um, but I got a chance to meet her in person at Brew City. Um, she was in town before, you know, she really blew up. Um, and she was just nice to talk to her. And I was like, Hey, I'd love to interview you sometime. And lo and behold, I don't know, three or four times she was nice enough to come on, you know, especially like when she had won something or, you know, uh, when she won her first world title, we had her on, that was great, you know, so She's always been nice and been there and been, you know, responsive to us. So we've, we've appreciated her and she's grown into a really good, even better professional wrestler. Um, she does have that MMA background, so she does use that in, you can see it in her style as well. And Britt Baker's really become the biggest female wrestler outside of WWE. I think, uh, it's hard to argue that. I don't know who else you could pick to be honest with you. Um, it's interesting when the when the day comes along for them to sign on the dotted line because WWE's offered a contract. Do they sign it or not? Thunder Rosa most definitely will. I know that she would love to probably go all the way to the top, and there's no arguing that that's where that is. Um, I don't know what Britt's response would be, considering you know who she's with and and the 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 experience that can be shared with her, right? But I think ultimately they all want to wrestle at WrestleMania at least once. Yeah, and th- and this comes kind of brings this whole conversation full circle. Cody crossing that line, that proverbial line, does that you know open the floodgates of a lot of mass exodus? I don't think so, but it hey, probably Dave, huh? It's wrestling. It's all wrestling. That's right. It's like it's all Star Wars, right? It's all wrestling. No, but you, no, but you know what I mean. It's just because AEW is this new place and cool place, and just because he helped build it, well nothing's really ever stopped any wrestler from leaving a company and going to work for someone else. They've all done it. Yeah. Every single one of them. Right. And like I said, when, when Cody first made this decision, it, it, it shatters the illusion that AEW is some wrestling utopia. Cause it's not, you got booking issues. You've got the same sort of issues that have persisted. Overcrowded. Yeah. And every other place, where's my spot? How do I get ahead? I don't agree with this, this vision that Tony's got for this. I'm going to go and talk to Vince. And that's great that people have those options. So that's what the best part about all this is. is, Exactly. Is like, I don't like what I'm doing here. We'll go over there. I don't like what I'm doing over there. We'll come back over here. So, but yeah, did, uh, did, uh, does Thunder Rosa respond to you nowadays or is she too, is she big timing you as well? Honestly, this is going to sound like a, even more about a a jackass answer on my part, but I don't, I haven't really reached out to her in a while. (laughs) I've been pretty, I've been pretty busy. I know. I just, I just sent a message to her cause you know, she was cool enough to follow, follow me. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a good moment for, for the AEW women's division. Cause we, you know, we've shat upon them hard on the, on well, both just, of our shows they just, and they, they deserved, deserved it. Yeah. I don't feel bad about that at all. Yeah. They just, they have not been. And I mean, I'm still not sold on Jade Cardgill, but that's neither here nor there. So Anyway, that's kind of a touch and base on the current product. I think, you know what we should do, Tony? Let's take a commercial break. We'll come in here. Why don't you plug anything going on with the chairshot.com and, you know, about shirts and, and, and all that kind of fun stuff and, and let people know about that. And then we'll, uh, we'll get right back into this big four. 
Yeah, sounds good. Head on over to uh, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. Pick yourself up a Chair Shot t-shirt. Listen to Chair Shot Radio Network, all your favorite shows, all your favorite streaming platforms, such as Bandwagon Nerds, where you can hear myself and Dave Ungar get yelled at by Patrick O'Dowd. No, I'm just kidding. We love Patrick. Uh, uh, yes. Aesop yes. Mitchell, Christopher Platt, and uh, and uh, Ray Ray S. Cashington's the fourth, uh, also on the show. Uh, r- rotating cast, great guys, great group, great show. Uh, well, well, uh, well hosted by Patrick and Dave there. So listen to that. Chairshot Radio Network. Yeah, Chairshot.com. Attitude of Aggression. DWI podcast. That's all. I, I mean, that's plug, plug, plug. PC and Platt. Pot is war. That too. All the all of the above. D, all of the above. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. We will come back and we will jump right into our top, the first of the two parts of Chapter 2, WrestleMania 3. You're listening to Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, likely also appearing on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the uh, ChairShot.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. We are back. It is time to get into this topic of conversation on the Big Four Chapter 2 
WrestleMania 3. And WrestleMania 3, 3, that's right. Tony's like, 3, took place March 29th, 1987, the Pontiac Silver Dome. We will talk about the attendance and what it might have actually been as opposed to what was reported. No one knows for sure, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's that's all right. That's the way it should be. I think, you know, unlike unlike when we get the Survivor Series 87, where we'll talk backstory before we talk about the card, this one's kind of easier to kind of talk about the backstory as you get into the matches, I think, because rather than try and fill in all the gaps of everything that led to this, obviously what we know is WrestleMania 1, tremendous success, set the stage. WrestleMania 2 probably tried to do too much. And some of it was good. Some of it was bad. Most of it was in the middle. I would have to say, as far as what they were doing. Uh, and, and there were some good, like, yeah, good stuff, bad stuff in between. I think coming out of WrestleMania two in the wake of Hogan beating Bundy, probably the biggest thing that happened up until around the beginning of 87 was the, um, Hogan Orndorff feud, I think was the big thing that took place where, where Orndorff turns on Hogan in a match with a tag match with, Mr. Wonderful and Hulk against Stud and Bundy. And that leads to their match at, at the big event in Toronto, which was actually used to show up on the network as a air quoting pay-per-view, even though it really wasn't, but we're not going to be dicks about it. Uh, you know, that's a match Orndorff leaves with the title belts, but he gets disqualified. They had the blow off match in the steel cage, which again, controversy looks like Orndorff might've won. They can't decide whose feet touch the ground first. They restart the match. Hulk wins and off we go. Uh, and that kind of sets the stage for WrestleMania three. Uh, here's the thing about, about WrestleMania three is uh, before we, I mean, we'll talk more about it as we go along, but it, it, you know, it's one of the most iconic events in wrestling history. Um, this is the first WrestleMania that you can really look at and say, we are playing on a different field right now. One and two were one thing. This is something entirely different. I, I want to ask you this before we start getting into it. Hogan Andre, look, we all know how iconic that match is. We all know that as far as like wrestling talent and greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, no, it's not in the top 20 probably. But is Hogan Andre the most important match in WrestleMania history? Yes and no. Yes, probably more than no. Um, think about think about what think about what WrestleMania is about. It's about the moments, right? Probably no bigger moment than Andre the Giant getting slammed by Hulk Hogan, especially if you magnify it by the magnitude of the time it was happening. I mean WWE has that documentary out on Peacock called Evil, and it's eight different episodes about eight different WWE stars who were bad guys. And the first one is about Hulk Hogan. And you can make an argument that Hulk Hogan is the greatest babyface and greatest heel of all time. And I don't know a lot of guys you can make an argument for about that. Um, legitimately. No, you're absolutely right. Hogan is, um, he will turn into that. Obviously, as we go along, he will morph into sure. the biggest prick in the world. Uh, at- but I'm saying, like, you know, him being as huge as he was, and you, you've heard. I mean, we've both heard Vince tell the stories about, you know, he he had to bring Andre back and to 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 make to sell this out. He knew there would be no other bigger match, right? So, think yeah. about Brock Lesnar coming back to the WWE. Yeah, it's, he's he's in Andre the Giant. Yeah. You know, he's he's different. 
and we'll we'll talk more about this match as we get there. But let, so let's kind of like get into it, and we'll go from there. March 29th, nineteen eighty seven. As we said, you got Gorilla Monsoon, you got Jesse Ventura on commentary. These guys yes. are going to be the anchors for the first six WrestleManias. Um, of course, this kicks off with Aretha Franklin's amazing rendition of America the Beautiful. Uh, Vince with that awesome tux that he's wearing in the ring, announcing Aretha in there. This amazing crowd at the Silverdome just, I mean, right off the bat, you get, you look at this crowd and it's like, oh my God. Even by modern standards, you look at what's going on at the Silverdome that day and you're like, holy shit, it's a lot of people for a wrestling event in 1987. Um, yeah, I thought Aretha's rendition of America the Beautiful, probably the best out of any of the WrestleMania performances. I mean, Ray Charles uh, the year before was really, really awesome as well. Aretha's is, yeah, right up there, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's pretty much uh, common knowledge among wrestling fans of, of our ilk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you can't you can't say enough about the performance that she gave there. The, the first match of the night you got the Can-Am connection taking on the Magnificent Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton, Randy's dad. They've got Mr. Fuji in the corner. Um, so th- it's a good match, yes, but it's over too quick. There's a lot of double teaming at the end of this. Uh, Martel's going to hit a crossbody block on Morocco as Tom Zenk is going to trip him. The Can-Am connection gets the win. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you. It sounds like a bad porn, actually. A lot of double teaming, and it was over too quick. Over too quick, exactly. Uh, Here's the thing that I want to ask you. The Can-Am connection. Is this a missed opportunity by WWE with these guys? Because the reason I say that is, you know, later on in 1987, Rick Martel wins the Tag Team Championships, not with Tom Zank, with Tito Santana as Strike Force. Um when I watch this match, I look at these guys, they had chemistry, they moved well in the ring, seemed like they had everything that you would need, except maybe Tom Zank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Tom Zank was more of a territory guy to Vince than he was a, a WWE guy. He wasn't a superstar. He was a he was a wrestler. He wasn't a superstar. And that's the difference there, I think. And you can tell, you know, Rick Martel's a superstar, right? Bob Orton's a superstar. Morocco's a superstar. Tom Zank is the Mid-South, you know, middleweight champion. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he the Z-Man later on in WCW? Yeah. The Z-Man. Yeah. And like how the, well did that go over in Atlanta as like, well? Like so. a wet fart in church, pretty much. That's... Well, dude, we got to go. I sharted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, every time I watch this match back, I'm like, yeah, that team was really solid, but they just, you know, literally within months of this, they're done. Strike Force is Here. born. And there Tom Zank is AEW Dark. Is he? Yeah, there you go. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tom Zank's all elite. Is he still alive? I don't know. Oh. I hope he is for his sake. Um, the second match at WrestleMania 3, uh, interesting one. You get the Mighty Hercules with Bobby Heenan taking on Billy Jack Haynes. This is the Battle of the Full Nelsons. Um, this is going to end up with Billy Jack having Hercules and the Full Nelson outside of the ring. Both guys get counted out. Hercules wins the battle, though. Maybe not the war. But he attacks Billy Jack with a post-match with a chain wrapped around his fist as he bloodies Billy Jack, slaps on the full Nelson, and there you go. So a non-finish, of course. Both guys get counted out, but Herc definitely leaves with his uh, in the advantageous position of not bleeding like a stuck pig. 
whereas Billy Jack, or as Jesse calls him, Billy Jerk, um, kind of a mess at the end of this whole thing. No one, uh, no one's shoulders uh, get pinned to the mat. You know, no one taps, no one submits, and uh, Hercules goes away with uh, with the rub. So no big deal. The beginning of the uh, lots and lots of work for Bobby Heenan, and what you noticed a lot differently from this product to today's current product is managers, 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 and really fucking good ones. You already mentioned Fuji. Um, Heenan's handprints are all over everything. Uh, you know, here in in a lot of the shows that that we're going to talk about here in the near future as well. Yeah. Heenan's all over WrestleMania three. Jimmy Hart has a rough night. We're going to talk about that as we go along here. Um, we get one of the more interesting and controversial moments of WrestleMania three. Uh, you've got little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook, which look, you can call them dwarfs. You can call them midgets, whatever you want. Be politically correct. If you want or not, they were called midgets back then. They team up with King Kong Bundy <laughs> to take on the team of Little Beaver, the Haiti Kid. Oh, little Beaver. Little, lots, of nice. little, lots of Beaver. What in that? But Bob Euchre says there's all sorts of Beaver around here. It's like, Bob, what are you talking about? Uh, nice Beaver. Nice Beaver. Uh, and, of course, Hillbilly Jim is their tag team partner. Uh, you know, as far as the match is concerned, Bundy's in, he's having his way with Hillbilly Jim. Um, but then he kind of grabs Little Beaver. Drops a massive elbow on him, gets his team disqualified. All the little guys kind of stand there to try and get Bundy to back off. And, and you're just like, oh, my God, he's just going to squash all of these guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, when Bundy drops that elbow on the poor little guy, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's pretty rough. It, it, an interesting kind of spectacle here at WrestleMania 3 early on in the whole thing. Um, you know, it's kind of a throwaway sort of thing. I, I understand that the controversy of, uh, of this big giant gargantuan of a man just destroying this poor little dude, but whatever. Hey, you got any thoughts about this match? A sideshow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a nice, nice, uh, interlude sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, it was all fun. So WrestleMania three, a different time, a different time, <laughs> a very different time. You would not see this kind of match nowadays under any circumstance um we get the next match is a is another interesting one the king harley race taking on the junkyard dog in a loser must kneel and bow match so one of the weirder stipulations in wrestlemania history uh harley he's got bobby heaton again there you go you mentioned him earlier heenan's in his quarter he's also got the fabulous moolah with him um, junkyard dog dominates the match pretty much a distraction by heenan is going to allow race to hit junkyard dog with a really nice belly to belly suplex and you know you wouldn't think a belly to belly suplex is enough to keep somebody like the junkyard dog down but it is so harley race gets the win junkyard dog he kind of sort of honors the stipulation post-match he bows to the king and then blasts him with a chair and leaves wearing the kingly robes as the crowd and the in uh detroit pontiac silverdome erupts one of the first big pops of the night i you know this was fun you know i i like this match a lot this is fun it it, kind of you know wwe does a lot of really smart booking decisions in these early years of wrestlemania with the probable exception of what they did with junkyard dog and 
you know, there was the decision not to have him win the IC title at WrestleMania one decision here to have him drop a title to race or not a title, just to drop the match to race. It's still a fun match. Junkyard dog is the one who leaves with his head held high. He's got the robe. He's doing kind of the kingly strut. It it is all fun. I, I enjoyed this match a lot. It's not a work of art. You know, this is hardly race well past his prime, but still it's a good match. Your thoughts. I mean, yeah, Harley Race sells some more tickets for a venue that you really got to fill out, right? Junkyard Dog is a superstar. You know, he's got a persona. He he works the crowd. It's it's a higher profile match on the card than I think people would think nowadays. I think this was one of the, you know, key underlining the headliner matches um, that would sell the the show. Um, once again, though, like you said, Harley Race a little bit past here, but it was interesting and nice to see him get his moment you know a lot of these matches are really quick matches too like you said yeah that and that's that's a, a problem through because i don't even know if this one was five minutes yeah i think you don't get a really long wrestlemania match probably till what warrior and savage at seven is the first one that i can think of that really kind of well no that's not true i think hogan and hogan and savage at five goes a ways but um you got Lots of quick. Steamboat ma- Savage was fourteen and a half go. minutes. That's right. So that's that's fairly long, and we're going to talk about that and what they cram into that match pretty soon. Um, the next match has one of the key moments of WrestleMania three that would resonate uh, later on. And in fact, the match following this um, doesn't seem like at the time it's that big a deal. But you got the fabulous Rougeau brothers taking on, and this is back when the Rougeaus are baby faces, taking on the Dream Team, the really former champions. Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the Dream Team there, not alone though, they've got Jimmy Valiant, and Dino Bravo is in their corner. Um, the key point of the match is actually takes place when Beefcake tries to interfere. He accidentally hits Greg the Hammer Valentine as he leaps off the second rope. The Rougeos, then they're going to execute this great double team move, but it's Dino Bravo, who's the MVP here, leaps off the second rope, Nails Raymond Rougeau, puts Valentine on top of him, and the Dream Team ends up getting the victory. But here's the key moment of this. Um, Everyone abandons Brutus Beefcake after the match. They all walk away from him. They're basically like just just turning their back on him. It kind of, at this point, this is going to turn Brutus Beefcake face. And you don't really know the significance of it till we get to the next match. But... This is going to be a pretty significant face turn moving forward for WWF at the time. Uh, Brutus Beefcake flips from heel to face. It's going to pay immediate dividends to one of the more beloved people uh, on the card coming up. But, you know, your your thoughts, I mean, it, it, the match itself is almost secondary to what happens with Brutus Beefcake and how they did this. Um, the match was fine. You know, the Rougeos could go back then they were really they were really an underrated tag team never won a title the brothers were very good uh they were the faces here and and dino bravo stole this one but you know brutus beefcake so i guess let me approach that with you he turns face here this is going to be a big run for him i don't ever think he comes back to being healed before he goes to you know wcw and joins kevin sullivan's fucking whatever the hell it is but (laughs) exactly uh, Dude, you're, you're, Kevin Sullivan is fucking out there. Let me just tell you that was. I've got this. I've spent way too much time with Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. 
Um, your thoughts about the match and, and the and the and the flipping, you know, turning Brutus' face at this point in WWF history. And let me just preface by that by saying, and I really haven't even spent that much time with Kevin Sullivan, and it was too much. But yeah, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, or you know, Brutus Beefcake. Let, let's talk about the Dream Team. This is a team that's underrated in the in in as far as a tag team goes. They were a really freaking good tag team. But yeah, I mean, you're going to get into Brutus and, and being the, he's, he's going to be a superstar. He's going to be the barber now, right? And it's weird. They used occupations back then. Now we just use, I'm a badass. This is my real name kind of thing. Um, but Joe. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting how many of these guys in nowadays, the way the title moves around or it used to, because now it doesn't move around as much anymore, but there's two of them who could have been champions and things of that nature, you know? Um, but I've met. Brutus as well, and he's he's a pretty just laid back, normal kind of guy, to be honest with you. Yeah, he uh, and I mean, this is actually the event where he's going to kind of morph into the barber, uh, as we're about to see. <laughs> I, I mean, and and yeah, you're. I, I mean, Brutus, his best shot will come a year from now, where he's got a really legit shot at the IC title, and it falls apart for one reason or another. But let's talk about the next match, which is probably up to this point. The most important match, I don't know about most important match in WrestleMania history, because you can say the main event of one was probably the most important, but this is the first really big match of WrestleMania three. It's Adrian Adonis, it's Rowdy Roddy Piper, it's Piper's retirement match. Backstory time, kids. Here's where the, we're going to deviate a little bit and give some backstory on this. So Piper had gone away from WWF for a while. I think he was filming They Live, if I remember correctly. And, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. That's yeah. right. So he comes back to WWF. And if I understand it correctly, when he came back, there was no belief or intention for him to be a babyface. But when he first appeared, the crowd cheered him. After being gone for so long, he comes back, the crowd cheered him. Um, Vince and Roddy decided to kind of steer into that skit a little bit and say, hey, these guys are responding to Roddy. Um, you start to see the fans evolving. I know we talked last year about Mania Madness when we did that whole segment about the evolution of the fans getting smarter as the years went along. You start seeing that a little bit here and there where the heels are starting to pick up a few cheers. And Roddy was one of the first ones to do that. The Adonis thing is, story-wise, when Piper went away, he left Piper's pit in the care of Adrian Adonis, who turned it into the flower shop. And okay, let's let's be honest here. Adrian Adonis went from a biker, the tag team of partner of Jesse the Body Ventura, former, I think, WWF tag team champions, if my fading memory serves me correctly. He goes from that, Tony, to let's be honest, a transvestite. And unapologetically so. And that's fine. You know, the gimmick was what it was. And they turn the flower shop into this, and Piper comes back and he's like, What the fuck is going on? And these guys get into a major, major feud culminating in this blow-off match. Now, behind the scenes, Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis, best of friends. Very close, very tight. I've read stories that, you know, Adrian Adonis is buried here in Bakersfield, California. Um, I didn't even realize that until recently. I'm like, wow, I need to actually go out there and pay my respects out at Greenlawn to him. Um, There's stories about how when Adrian died in that car wreck that, Roddy's son called him and said, there's this man standing in my living room. Roddy rushed over there, swears he saw the spirit 
of Adrian Adonis. So that's getting way out there, but that gives you an indication as to how tight these two guys were. Um, this match itself is, you know, loser's going to get his head shaved. It's Piper's last match, at least at this point in time, it's Piper's last match for now. Anyway, that's what, that's how I want to put it. Um, Adonis says Jimmy Hart, his first appearance of the night, he's with him. Um, and, and I said, this is the match that really kind of brings this huge crowd to a fever pitch up till this point, Tony, they're kind of, they're there, they're engaged. Yes, but not to this point. This is the match where you really see that crowd start to flip and get into a fever pitch that is going to carry all the way to the end. Uh, especially any time that Roddy abuses Jimmy Hart in this match, that crowd goes absolutely apeshit for that. And they can't get enough of seeing, you know, the mouth of the South get beaten up. Uh, Adonis has, you know, he's going to have a lot of help from Jimmy though. Hart's going to spray some shit in Roddy's eyes. And, um, Whoa, what was that? Tony, you still there? After he sprays his stuff in Roddy's eyes, look, Adrian Adonis has this match one kids. Uh, he's got Piper locked in Goodnight Irene, which was Adrian's version of the sleeper hold. Um, <laughs> this is fun storytelling. So the refs check in Roddy's arm. It drops once. It drops twice. And then Adrian lets the hold go. Roddy's arm never drops the third time. <laughs> so then we get this big moment where you've got Brutus Beefcake running into the ring. He revives Roddy Piper. Piper then locks Adonis in a sleeper. The crowd absolutely loses their damn mind. Piper puts out Adrian Adonis. Piper wins his farewell match. Brutus cuts Adrian Adonis's hair. The barber is born. Roddy walks away with a huge ovation. Triumphant. Bagpipes are playing. This, to me, Tony, is where WrestleMania completely, as an event, turns the corner. Because it's one thing what you got the spectacle of one and anything that happened to two. And granted, one is is a huge spectacle. Nothing like this had happened yet with this kind of crowd reaction to this level with a guy, the magnitude of Roddy Piper. To me, this is the first truly great wrestle. Well, I can't say truly great moment because you've got every a lot of stuff that happened at one. But this to me is a bigger moment than anything that happened at one. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but this is where this card kind of turns the corner for me. Well, you know, you got somebody in Roddy Piper who's one of the greatest of all time. You talk, and we don't, you know, you hear that all all the time. But like Roddy Piper is top fifty professional wrestlers of all time, WrestleMania era, maybe even higher than that. But I'll just I'll just kind of leave it there for right now. Like the guy, he's much higher, probably. Yeah, I mean, the guy could sell. And the guy could get you to care whether he was a good guy or a bad guy. He got you to care. And they got you to care about this. They got you to care about what they were doing. Like you you talked about the storyline and the fact that he had left the pit and it had turned into something he didn't want it to be. And the fact that these guys had history. And you mentioned the fact that they were friends. So they were going to do something really good because they wanted to work together. They wanted to look and make each other look good, right? And that's when you get your best wrestling product. When you just have guys who are brilliant and know each other and work well together. Piper got people to care and that's where it got even better because the people in the arena who didn't even know, you know, maybe Adrian Adonis from Tuesday next week, they cared about it because of Roddy Piper. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. I mean, Piper, 
was I, I mean, you know, we talked about it on WrestleMania one, you know, without Roddy Piper, you don't get the heat and, and, and just the, the, the way that WrestleMania one went off without Roddy Piper and the heat that he generated on himself with the stuff he did with Cindy Lauper, with Captain Lou Albano, with Hulk Hogan, uh, to see him go out like this, at least temporarily, one of those watershed moments at WrestleMania three, for sure. Uh, the next match, we got to give some more backstory because this is an interesting one. The Hart Foundation, there with Danny Davis, taking on the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. Now, storyline-wise, Danny Davis had been involved in um, the changing of the tag titles from the British Bulldogs to the Hart Foundation earlier in the year, and also with Macho Man Randy Savage beating Tito at the Boston Garden uh, before WrestleMania two in 1986. The backstory to this is interesting, though, because this is kind of where the Dynamite Kid starts to go downhill. And, and and you can read the history yourself. It was during some house show match or something where Dynamite Kid, Tom Billington, running the ropes, something went wrong, tweaked his back. Seemed like it shouldn't have been that big of a deal, but it really fucked up the Dynamite Kid. And to his credit, you know, and, and for all the problems that Tom had later on in life, that's one thing. But to his credit, at this point in time, he was adamant that he wasn't just going to drop the titles to the hearts. He wanted to be in there. They told this great story where Dynamite Kids gets jumped by Brett and the Anvil before the match even begins. Davy Boy just gets annihilated by Brett and, and, the, and the Anvil. And the Hart Foundation wins the tag team titles. So... You've got that as a backstory. And I mean, if you've read any of the stuff that Brett's ever written, um, you know, his autobiography is really excellent, by the way. He talks, him and Tom Billington, I mean, those are the two guys who really kind of started things off in Stampede Wrestling. They go way back. There's lots of family connections. We know, you know, you'll see, you know, many chapters from now when we get to SummerSlam 92, the Bret Hart, Davy Boy Smith scenario. Um, but you've got that as a background. So these are all guys very, very, very familiar with each other. Uh, in this match, this is another match I think that the crowd was really amped for, especially whenever Tito Santana and Davey Boy Smith start to beat the hell out of Danny Davis. They are all about Danny Davis getting his. Um, Davey is going to hit Davis with the running power slam, but it's the anvil who breaks up the pin. All hell breaks loose. And in the chaos, Danny Davis takes the mouth of the South. He's out there as well. Another Jimmy Hart sighting. Takes his megaphone, smashes it across the head of Davy Boy Smith to get the pin. The heels prevail. Brilliant wrestling, six-man tag team psychology. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, Tony, so appropriate and so on point. Managers, huge in this era of wrestling. You see it here. Managers and foreign objects. Jimmy, nobody's got a more iconic foreign object at this point in the WWF than Jimmy Hart's megaphone used to absolute effectiveness here. The heels get the win. Not surprising. I I dug this match. And yeah, you could see, though, that the crowd is crescendoing right now and getting everything that's happening. Each match is building on top of the other one. Um, another great crowd reaction. What do you think of this one? It, well, this match was given a little bit more time. It's probably, I think, maybe close to 10 minutes, this match. But you just got Hall of Famers out there doing their thing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, including Jimmy Hart, like we like we mentioned. You know, I mean, this is 
this is just a quality card with a lot of people that know what the hell they're doing out there, right? And when you get that kind of atmosphere that they had in, in that Silverdome with all those people and you get them worked up and into a lather, they're, they just want more. And when you got guys who can go out and deliver, that's what you get here. You think about, you talk about the British Bulldog, you talk about the Dynamite Kid, you talk about Tito Santana. Underrated. The, the, the Hart Foundation. I mean, everybody in this match is a Hall of Famer except for Danny Davis, I'm pretty sure, and the Dynamite Kid. So there you go. Yeah, and both of those probably should be, including Danny Davis, for the work that he did. Um, yeah, it just you're 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 very much on point, man. You got nothing but Hall of Famers, guys who can go. Tito Santana always, I always thought Tito was very underrated. The, you know, we talked about I think like what did we yesterday? I used the word anchor to describe something, and you like that word. And Tito's the anchor. It's, it's funny. Tito was too. He was too late, and he was too early. If he would have been a generation before himself, he could have been a champion, kind of like others were in the you know. Uh, 60s and 70s for the WWF, and if he would have been around a little bit later, you know, he might have been a champion in WCW or or possibly later in the Attitude Era or something like that. So he'd be, he'd be Intercontinental Champion right now. I mean, you know, he. <laughs> well, I meant I mean actual champion. Though. Yeah. Oh, like the champ. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Tito was. Uh, he could go. I mean, his feud with Greg Valentine is the stuff of legend. So, um, yeah, this this was a fun match. The heels get some love in this card where the baby faces are going to win a lot but you know the next match is another heel moment then <laughs> the natural butch reed here's another manager we got at the time the doctor of style slick Ooh, yes, yeah, the, slicks. the slicks are taking on coco beware coco doesn't have a manager but he's got a parrot named frankie yes, he does. uh mm-hmm. you know this match coco is going to hit the natural butch reed with a running cross body block but his momentum is going to carry Reed on top of him, and Reed holds a handful of tights to get the victory. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I guess post-match, though, Slick is going to attack Coco with his cane until Tito Santana, the aforementioned one, shows up and lays an ass-whooping on Slick, including taking, tearing his clothing to shreds. So, interesting match to me. Not very good. I mean, a guy like Butch Reed should have just manhandled Coco beware, but Coco isn't exactly jobber to the stars level yet. He's getting there at this point in time. Um, so, you know, there were some, at least, yeah, I don't know. You could, you could suspend your disbelief a little bit to think Coco could hang with Butch Reed. So I guess it makes sense, but this is really all about Tito getting a, a little bit of a measure of payback on the on the uh, doctor style slick the slickster um i don't know your thoughts on this not a whole lot you can say about this match it's kind of like this is kind of like catch your breath because shit's about to get real <laughs> sort of moment here at wrestlemania 3 yeah shortest match of the night yeah how long was this this one wasn't very long at all three and a half minutes jesus all right i don't think we need to talk too much about that because we all want to <laughs> talk about the next match which is on a card where you've got Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, you know, and, and I mean, I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, certainly not yours, because God knows we've talked about this match previously in multiple shows and formats, but it goes, you, you have to, you have to go there because it's still by most of our accounts, I think yours and mine, I'd still put this number three as far as my greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. And we're talking a long fucking time ago. Um, and, you know, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, 
the backstory of this whole thing, you know, you've got George Animal Steel, of course, and the whole issue with Elizabeth that is carried over from WrestleMania 2. Savage grants Ricky Steamboat a title match on television. Superstars or whatever the fuck it was back then. Um, the match never happens, though, because Savage attacks Steamboat before the match in this iconic moment where he puts Ricky, lays Ricky across the guardrail, hits a double axe handle from the top of the ring post or the ring to the floor, crushes Ricky Steamboat's larynx, allegedly. You know, they're talking about Ricky may not ever be able to talk again, much less wrestle again. And then they give like these weekly updates on the condition of Ricky Steamboat. He shows up at like superstars and and challenges Savage, who looks like he's seen a ghost. And off you go. And, and it's billed as Steamboat's last chance to get the title. I'm like, he never really had a first chance, guys. But that goes without saying. Uh, we've all heard the stories. We've heard the stories ad nauseum about the preparation that the Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat put into this match. Every single move mapped out on a piece of paper because Savage was that much of a perfectionist and an obsessionist. Yeah, what are you fucking talking about, Dave? Yeah, it's okay because, you know, you end up with the first great WrestleMania match. You mentioned it earlier, 14 minutes. You know, look, it's classic. Everybody's seen it. You, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know where the hell you've been. You can't call yourself a wrestling fan. Certainly not somebody who's listening to this podcast. I love the match. All the near finishes, uh, the back and forth, the stuff they do. Savage should have won the match. You know, he's got Steamboat. The only complaint I've ever had about the match, Tony, is I just didn't dig the end. Because after all this epic stuff that goes on, the end is basically Savage tries to st- slam Steamboat. Steamboat hooks him. Kind of inside cradle, gets the pin, and that's it. A little bit anticlimactic um, for a finish, but you know where you look at where they end up going with Savage over the next few months, and and how quickly Steamboat is going to drop this title. You're like, okay, maybe, but I, you know, it's what was Steamboat's finisher? I think it was a flying body press back at this time, right? Well, that sounds about as flashy as a you know an inside cradle. That's true. That's true. I mean, certainly not the flying elbow drop. And let's be honest, Savage hits the elbow drop. He's got this match won. A ref bump is the only reason Steamboat wins this. The ref's out. Savage has got this match. Jesse's even counting. You can count to 10 if you want. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does that a lot, actually. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, George Animal Steel plays a, a, a big role in this match because when Savage takes the bell at the end of, near the end of the match and is going to do Steamboat in again, it is George Animal Steel who shoves Savage off the top rope. Savage allegedly hits himself in the head with the bell, which kind of leads them being woozy, picks up Steamboat and gets caught. And off you go. Um, Savage, you know, probably one of the better Intercontinental Championship title reigns of all time from winning it from Tito Santana the year before, carrying it for over a year, finally dropping it to uh, Steamboat here at WrestleMania three. I mean, I, I think I think like, in the early days of this show, Tony, like Gator and I went down and we ranked the top intercontinental champions of all time. I had Savage number one because he just, I mean, everybody he defended the belt against, uh, he brought something to that title. I know he was a, he was a heel and he nefarious means his way to many title defenses. But when you look at far as promo work in ring quality, everything that went into that title reign over a year, 
I got to give it to Savage. Um, I, you know, and I never understood it. And now I'm going to turn it over to you to talk. Steamboat dethrones Macho Man. And I know Randy was moving on to bigger and better things, sort of. It kind of comes full circle. You know, Steamboat holds the title for what, like two, three months, then drops it to the Honky Tonk Man under really odd circumstances. I never quite understood that. But your thoughts first on this match, the title reign of Macho Man, Randy Savage, and really what kind of happened? If you have any theory as to what happened, why'd Steamboat drop it so quick? Uh, I don't know why Steamboat didn't his wife have, when did the wife with the, yeah, she had little Ricky. That's true. I forgot about that. That might've had a lot to do with it. Um, it's interesting because Steamboat's a guy he's that we should add to that list that never was a world champion with, you know, Rick Rude and Kurt Henning and, uh, Scott Hall, uh, Jake Roberts, um, Roddy Piper. It's the, the preparation and, and you, you can, there's, there's something on the network where Steamboat talks about the amount of shit he had to take from Randy Savage before the match to fucking figure this all out. And all the things that he had to remember is like, and he's, there's, I think he's watching the match and he's like, that's one thing. That's two, that's three, that's four, that's five. And then he's just numbering, number, number. And it was this list of, I don't even know. He gave the number of what the list was of what they were going to do. And they did it. Yeah. And they did it and they hit it all. And, uh, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do the homework. They did. And it paid off. Right. And it's two guys that knew what the fuck they were doing again. And I think it was easy for Randy to trust Ricky because Ricky was an honest, straight up guy. And he knew that Ricky wasn't going to try to take advantage of him. Ricky knew Ricky wasn't trying to get with Miss Elizabeth. So, I mean, it was, it allowed Randy to go, all right, I got this. Here, I, out of anybody ever I've had a match with, this I want you and me to do it the best, right? So it is. It's it's an iconic match. It'll always be an iconic match. It'll always stand the test of time. This match, right? It's been thirty five years. Yeah, it stole the show on, on a show where let, let's be honest, Hogan Andre. This match steals the show, and you've I've heard you hear Ricky Steamboat talking about it that. After WrestleMania was over, the post-WrestleMania event, party, whatever you want to call it, people are coming up to Savage and Steamboat saying, wow, you guys really killed it. That says a lot on a on a card where you've got Hulk Hogan versus Andre the fucking Giant, and people are talking about the Intercontinental Championship match. It's huge. But I, I think you, you, know, you raise a great point. Ricky Steamboat, I cannot think of anybody else. I'm trying to rack my brain. Somebody who never flipped heel. Ricky Steamboat never flipped heel in his entire career. Is always a baby face. I mean, man, just remarkable when you think about it. Yeah, I can't even think of somebody of significance, at least. Yeah, uh, but like you like you said, this is one of the most iconic. It's the first truly great match in WrestleMania history. It's been analyzed, overanalyzed ad nauseum. So I don't want to do it here other than to acknowledge the persistent greatness of this match. And it, it, it stands the test of time. You mentioned the uh, guy in the next match um, as somebody who never quite got there, uh, never held a title in WWE, WWF, whatever. Jake the Snake Roberts, accompanied by Alice Cooper, taking on the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart. He's there again, Tony. Uh, a little bit of backstory on this one. Uh, this kind of, you know, Jake was one of these guys who 
was a heel. Is this the one? Is this Ozzy Osbourne too here? No, Ozzy was the year before with the British Bulldogs. My bad, my bad. Yeah. So, but he's got Alice Cooper. Now, the interesting thing is Jake was getting cheers as a heel. This is what we talked about earlier. Leading into this match, people were starting to gravitate towards him. Jake had that his own. Everybody had it. It's like everybody had the KO show back then. Jake had that snake pit segment where he ran down the honky tonk man. Honky yeah. hits him in the head. Folks. Yeah, folks, wrestlers having their own talk shows has been for 35, 40 years. Yes, so, this yeah. is nothing new. Nothing new. <clears throat> but Honky hits Jake with uh, a guitar. And apparently this guitar was supposed to be gimmicked, and it wasn't. And this did some pretty significant damage to Jake the Snake Roberts. And, of course, this flips Jake, babyface. And Honky, of course, the douchebag that he is. Um, this match is pretty good as well. And, and Jimmy Hart, of course being MVP that he is, is going to save Honky Tonk Man from the DDT by grabbing Jake's leg. This is going to allow Honky Tonk to roll up Jake, grab the top rope, and steals the win. But theme of the evening at WrestleMania 3, it's what happens post-match that is more important because Jimmy's rough night continues, Tony. (laughs) Jake and Alice abuse him and terrorize him with Damien, the giant python, Honky Tonk gets the win. Jake and Alice Cooper stand tall. And, you know, everybody and Jake just kind of gets more and more popular from and the DDT gets more and more popular. We're going to see it coming up in Survivor Series. Uh, You know, your thoughts. I mean, you've I think you were DP met Jake Roberts. Talked to him. Um, Somebody went to Vegas. I think it was I think it was Dan, actually. Right. He met D'Lo Brown. We've had, uh, we've interviewed Roberts, um, three times. He's a, he's fun to talk to. Um, but yeah, him and, uh, Sin Bodie are huge, are, are, are really good friends. Um, Sin Bodie's a guy that, man, he talk about people to be grateful for and thankful for their time. Um, that guy has done a lot for me and, you know, I try to do as much back for him as I can, but Jake Roberts is awesome to talk to. Um, it's funny we once had a conversation about he was like give me the money you can keep the title you know (laughs) right exactly uh jake's one of those guys like you mentioned never never really broke through but immensely popular i mean one of the top five most popular guys in wwf at the time frame and this this match went a long way towards solidifying that even though he lost the most intelligently efficient professional wrestling superstar of all time like everything he did meant something and he did it with purpose and reason and it it's something that could be really taken to task and noted noteworthy for this generation of professional wrestling yeah absolutely i i think you know you or any generation (laughs) i mean like some of the promos that he does it sounds like sheer poetry like the one he did before wrestlemania 6 um, where mean jeans like Longfellow couldn't have said it better. Um, you, you know, you don't have to talk loud to get people to listen to you. That's right. Sometimes being quiet and calculating gets the message across even better than screaming at the top of your, what the fuck you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes that works too. That, that sometimes <laughs> that does work. Um, Notable at this point, somewhere I think before the Jake's, Jake Roberts match, Mean Gene comes out, announces the crowd. Indoor attendance record, 93,173. Now, we all... 74 million people, folks. That's how many people we jammed into this Pontiac Silverdome. That's right, 74 million. Um, 
Now, look, there's been stuff talked about for the years, uh, years and years and years as to how many people were there. Anywhere between 78,000 and 93,000 seems to be the general consensus. Um, Lots of people there, no matter how you slice it. For a pro wrestling event, lots of people were there. Yeah, no doubt. I So... Uh, if people listen to this show, you probably already know about this, but if you don't, here's a nice wrestling resource and it's called cagematch.net. They have the results and card and the people on it and the times of the matches and they rate the matches with everything else. And it's a great place to go to look up cards and stuff like that. They have it listed at 78,000. There you go. Yeah. I, I think that's been the consensus is that there is about 78,000, um, who, you know, I mean, it was recognized officially as an attendance record for what till something broke it in 2010. I think. The, no, the biggest wrestling show ever was in Korea. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 one where the WCW um, one with Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair, and where they got watch the dark side of the ring. Yes. a documentary on that one. That's a it's one of the best ones. If you're a wrestling fan, yes, they went over there. And no, Inoki, Antonio Inoki. Yeah. This this one was billed as having the lar- as setting an indoor attendance record, which I think is how they were drawing the distinction for a while. But be that as it may, it was a lot of people there. <laughs> that's 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 really all you have to know about it. Uh, the the penultimate match to the main event is Nikolai Volkov and Sheiky Baby Iron Sheik. They got slick with them. They are taking on the Killer Bees. Um, <laughs> fuck the killer bees in the b-hole yeah fuck them in the b-hole they have no manager until hacksaw jim duggan is going to show oh. up stop ho oh, exactly stops volkov from singing the russian national anthem then cracks the sheik across the back when sheiky baby has a uh, jumping jim brunzel locked in the camel clutch that two by four just cracks sheiky across the back the bees get disqualified uh hacksaw gets the crown Crowd to chant USA for the first time, as far as he's concerned, in his support of him. Okay, fine. It's a nice patriotic moment. It's lost in the undercurrent of what's about to happen. You know, it's like, okay, that's a cool moment. That's fine. That's great. Let's move on. <laughs> that sort of thing, because everybody knows what's coming next. Yeah, it's it's really the it's really a big part of the ebb and flow here, right? You know, we worked, we built up to Macho and Steamboat, and then we didn't come back all the way back down right away. We gave you Jake and and Honky Tonk, which is a little bit different kind of flavor, and then now we bring you even back down here with something that's a little less serious, um, a kind of familiar thing that you've seen in the past here, working with with this kind of gimmick, and now we're ready to ramp right back up again. It is. And let's get to the main event, which, of course, we all know Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Now, Hogan. This is wrestling, Dave. This is wrestling personified. It is. It's spectacle. It is everything that makes pro wrestling great. I feel like Paul Rudd in in 40 year old version, right? Y'all will be burning this building down if I have to listen to Michael McDonald one more time. Like, y'all will be be burning down the WWE if I got to listen to fucking Gorilla Monsoon say something personified one more fucking time. That's right. Or or the immovable object meeting the uh, (laughs) instrument. What the hell is what he says something to it. I don't know. See, I, you know, I've seen it three million times, but now when the when the pressure's on. The immovable object meets the uh, irresistible force. There's just thank you, Tony. Thank you for salvaging me. I need it. Um, <clears throat> Next time we'll bring in the Repo Man to salvage you. Please, we need that. The interesting thing about this match is I've heard Hulk Hogan say it. 
I mean, so many people have talked about this match. Hulk Hogan said it. I heard Bobby Heenan, rest in peace, said it before he passed. Um, nobody was really sure except Andre, whether Andre was actually going to do the job at this event. Well, that's the MO in Andre's entire like end of his career, right? He just kind of kept people hanging. He thought it was fun. Yeah, and I mean, if you watch the HBO special where Hulk's talking about them playing cards uh, before the match and, and, and Hulk's asking, are we okay? And Andre's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> just, just jerking around. Vince, of course, knew what was going to happen. Vince, I don't think. Well, had... yeah. Vince... I think Vince enjoyed the fact that he would hear stories about Andre jerking people around. Especially you know? Hogan, you know, at this point in his, in his life where, where Hulk is, is as big a star as it is. Um, oh, we're going to, and that's going to, yeah. The you know, Vince Hulk relationship and, you know. Maybe Vince was right watching this back, this, you know, the, the, the creative control thing. So we'll get to that down the road here. Yeah. Uh, so the match, of course, everybody's seen it. It's iconic. This stare down at the beginning where they're out there and Hulk talking about how he mapped it out on, on a yellow legal pad and Andre started following the script, but they didn't have a finish until Andre called it in the ring. Like, I don't know if any of that stuff is true or if pieces of it are true or not. You know, Hulk talking about... Hey. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Dave. Hulk talking about when he slams Andre and he hears Andre say, you know, leg drop, you know, or say, tell him slammer. How the hell could you hear that over the explosion of the crowd? And here's the thing about this match. You got to remember, kids, this is 87. The Internet doesn't exist. Hulk and Andre fought each other before. I was there <laughs> at the Capitol Center when Hulk and Andre fought each other. And. The controversial moment in the early moments of this match where Hulk tries to slam Andre, Andre falls on him for a two count at the Capitol Center. That was a three count and Andre won. But that was when Andre was a face and Hulk was a heel. And the great thing about this story is Andre the Giant was the most popular wrestler in the world for many years leading up to Hulk Hogan's ascension. He hadn't lost a match in, what, 17 years or something? Yeah, I mean, now, I, I mean, the thing is, People had slammed Andre the Giant before. Hulk Hogan had slammed Andre. The, he slammed him at Shea Stadium. I think Stan Hansen had slammed Andre the Giant in Japan. So it wasn't T- Tony Atlas probably did it. it. It wasn't unheard of, but nobody had seen it. Not in this kind of a magnitude. Yeah, when Hulk slams Andre, like you mentioned at the outset of this discussion, one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic moments in WrestleMania history, drops the big leg. Gets a three count. Jesse saying, I never thought it could be done, Gorilla. So many things. Bobby Heenan, absolutely. I mean, and here's the thing. I guess you got to talk some of the backstory and how well this match was built. Like, you know, we talked about it with Andre going away for a while, Vince bringing him back. What can we do? You know, Hulk's beating everybody. Who's the one person he has beaten? Andre the Giant. The work that Bobby Heenan did with the Piper's Pit segments and bringing Andre in, and and basically getting in Hulk's face and, and making everybody believe that, like we were saying, Andre the Giant, one of the most popular wrestlers in the world, in the world leading up to this, Bobby Heenan, because Andre, let's be honest, he could talk, but you couldn't understand a lot of what the fuck was going on. So Heenan becomes his, 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 his voice. And Bobby Heenan was able to convince everybody, here's this guy, this giant, jealous, bitter, undefeated for 15 years, never had a title, passed over by Hulk Hogan. The fans have just abandoned him and gone with this other guy. Andre's pissed. And you could you could understand where Andre's coming from, even though you didn't like it. 
and they did such a great job of building that. And in that press conference, man, and I mean, a lot of people talk a lot of shit about Hulk Hogan and a lot of it's deserved, but let's be honest that press conference where they signed the contract Hulk sitting across from Andre and just, you can literally see the rage building in him and Bobby Heenan talking all that shit and Hulk says, sign it. If you're going to sign it, you know, just, you don't, Get st- this is why Hulk Hogan is a master, and, and I don't care. You know, I I know all the other personal shit. That's one thing. Nobody was better than Hulk at this point in time, as far as just selling you on reasons why you wanted to cheer this guy, why you wanted him to win, why you wanted Andre to go down. It, everything. This is one of the best built matches in professional wrestling history, not just WrestleMania. Hulk Hogan, of course, goes over. Here's the thing, man. If, if, you know, if they'd had Andre go over here, how different would the world of professional wrestling have been? Hulk would have been a big deal. He'd already had the title for three years. Sure. <clears throat> but he would not have attained the immortal Hulk Hogan status if he doesn't win this match. Right. Well, I mean, exactly. It's, I, <laughs> it's funny the the significance of, of Hulk Hogan, you, you, you basically almost have to make him the greatest professional wrestler of all time, bar none, without question, because you think about everything that, and you know, the people that go, he can't wrestle. Well, now, now you're just, you're, you're proving my point. <laughs> I didn't say he was the best in-ring wrestler of all time. I said, he's the greatest professional wrestler of all time. The greatest superstar of all time. Right. You could argue that Austin, maybe Cena, maybe Flair, whatever, HBK, Taker. Um, I don't know. There's just something about him and when he did it and how he did it. And it, it, it's like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick being interlinked, right? Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon being interlinked is, is a very similar dynamic. And you just, you can't have one without the other. But in the end, as far as Vince and Hogan go, like I prefaced it before, Hogan, Hogan goes out the door mainly because Vince decides he doesn't want to pay him because Hogan is too much into wanting to control his own narrative. And ultimately, to be honest with you, that's a major part of what ends up killing WCW. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you know, you combine that with the fact that people start to get tired of Hulkamania probably around the time of WrestleMania six, when the warrior takes the title and that has a lot to do with it. But as far as, this match is concerned and just the magnitude of this whole situation. Andre loses for the first time and they sure. did it in a way that, you know, you, you, you know, you went into that match. I mean, I remember like F- WrestleMania four is the one that really stands out in my memory uh, a little bit more than this one, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's just kind of where the world was at that point in time. You know, it's 20 years old as opposed to 19, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, this, this match is, Got so much, and I think it's a microcosm of what makes pro wrestling great. Great story, tremendous build, easily identified face, heel, and a face that you really loved, and a heel that you used to love that has now pissed you off so much. Great ring psychology, the match built around, and Dave Meltzer said it in that HBO special, built around Andre's limitations, and although we have all sorts of our own issues with Dave, um, he probably got that part accurate. Andre was not in the best of shape in that match. No, that's proven. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would have been, if you want to see good Andre stuff, watch, uh, boy, maybe even into the very early eighties, but a lot of stuff he did in the seventies. Yeah. 
or even even go back to WrestleMania one with Stud. He was fine in that match, very very solid in that match. Um, but they told great ring psychology, and they built this match really well, and they did it in a way that it was believable. You could have you could believe that Hulk could beat Andre because of the way it went down. Um, Andre making a few mistakes, you know, here and there, leaving the door open for Hulk, not putting Hulk away when he could have kind of taken Hulk for granted until Hulk got the better of him and Hulk just takes advantage, slam, leg drop, it's over. Um, tremendous, you know, match wise, you know, it's not Savage Steamboat. It's more important than Savage Steamboat. It's probably equally iconic at least. Uh, and, and it's arguably the biggest main event in, in WrestleMania history still to this day, right? Well, this, this WrestleMania lives on the shoulders of the amount of, excellent talent that was on there, not the matches they had on the card. Uh, but yet this card is known for one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. And this card is one of the most well-known because it has probably the greatest moment in WrestleMania history. And that's pretty much how I would break this one down. Yeah. And I think, um, I would say match quality and just overall everything about this is a, a pretty significant step up over one or two. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I mean, even, even with, even with the short timing of things, you know, it was a little bit of a, it's like you said, it, it's a turning of the corner there for, for like for professional wrestling. Absolutely. Score time kids at home. Tony, we don't do one to fives here and no crazy decimal points like O'Dowd. Love you, Pat, but not here. Um, scale of one to 10. What would you rate WrestleMania three? Seven. I'm going to give it an eight. Eight out of ten for me. Uh, a lot of iconic stuff happening in this in this event. Uh, like we said, big step up from one and two. But uh, certainly a, a watershed moment in the history of the WWF. And really, we're kind of off and running from this point. Everything that kind of led up to this is one thing. But from here, going forward for the next several years, uh, you really see a paradigm shift to steal from John Moxley of where this industry is going to go. Um, we're going to take our next commercial break, and then we're going to come back and talk Survivor Series 1987. You are listening to The Attitude of Aggression, a part of the ChairShot Radio Network here on thechairshot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. All right, welcome back to the Big Four, Chapter 2, Subdivision 2, Subsection 2, I don't know. Anyway, sure. we're talking about coming up Survivor Series 1987. Um, the backstory to Survivor's eight, Survivor Series 87, absolutely some of the most fascinating, vindictive, evil shit that Vince McMahon ever did. Because here's the thing. WrestleMania 3 was really WWF's first foray into pay-per-view. Uh, one and two were mostly closed circuit. Some limited pay-per-view, but mostly closed circuit TV. WrestleMania 3 was predominantly pay-per-view. And as part of this whole thing, uh, meanwhile, down south, Crockett Promotions, running NWA at the time, not WCW yet, but NWA, uh, decided that they were going to make 
Starcade, a pay-per-view event. Now, Starcade was NWA's biggest, I guess by modern standards, we'll call it premium live event, right? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, their big super card. They had done uh, in 1985 and 86, I believe, or actually 83 was the first Starcade. So 83, 84, 85, 86 had all been closed circuit. And this was going to be their first time using pay-per-view, seeing what WWF had done and say, shit, we got to jump on board on this thing. Um, Vince McMahon was having none of that shit. And Vince did something very interesting with Survivor Series. First off, he sought, you know, unlike the modern product, which basically marginalizes tag team wrestling to the utmost degree, for Survivor Series, Vince is like, we need to really accentuate tag teams and do stuff along those lines. And that was kind of the premise of Survivor Series. But it's really what Vince did as far as <laughs> scheduling this event. So he schedules it for November, tw- I think November 26, 1987 at the Richfield yep. Coliseum yep. in you Richfield, Ohio. Now, mm-hmm. coincidentally or not so coincidentally, this is the same day that Starcade 1987 was going to go down. And Vince went to the cable companies who were going to carry Starcade on pay-per-view, and he basically put their head on the chopping block and said, if you carry Starcade, we will not be doing business with you. You will not get any more WWF pay-per-views if you do this. 70% roughly of the cable stations said, fuck you to the NWA and went with the WWF. Also, Starcade 87 was taking place in Chicago. And Vince said, you know, Richfield, Ohio, not that far away. So Vince not only went after them on the pay-per-view, on the pay-per-view buys, he wanted to nail them at the live gate as well. And this is way before the Monday Night Wars. You know, I mean, many, many years before the Monday Night Wars. But you could definitely see the competition. A lot of history. Oh, a lot yeah. of history between the NWA and the McMahon family, though, at the same time. Let's right. just put it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 at this part point in time, Vince is getting WWF, WF away from this whole regional territorial thing and making them a global, not just nation nationwide, but a global corporation, a global entity. I mean, yeah. At this point, it's his only major competition. And is it even competition at this point either? He's already taken all everything from AWA. He's already taken everything from Vern, right? It's just this, this last inkling here, which, which, which needs a billionaire uh, backing to, to even get to the level of the challenge. But yeah, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, please do. You're absolutely right. But you know, let, let's also take a look. NWA didn't have a shortage of stars this time. You got Dusty Rhodes. No. You got oh, Ric yeah. Flair. You got Lex Luger. You got Sting. You got the Road mm-hmm. Warriors. So they mm-hmm. have a stacked lineup. Problem, you know, is this main event for Starcade 87 going up against Survivor Series is you've got rugged Ronnie Garvin defending the title against Ric Flair. Now, no offense to rugged Ronnie Garvin, but when you look at what Vince did, which was basically, you know, Hogan Andre had been kind of dormant since WrestleMania three. And he, you know, he brings it back right before survivor series where Andre shows up and attacks Hulk in the ring and says, Hulk, Andre, they're going to captain their respective teams of five at this first survivor series. Yeah. You take that combined with the proximity of where this event was combined with Vince telling cable companies, if you carry Starcade, don't ask for any more WWF pay-per-views. And 
man, the battle lines are drawn and drawn in a big way. And so by modern standards, most people look at Survivor Series as kind of like the least important of the big four or maybe the big five nowadays if you count money in the bank. But at the time, you know, is it was the big four. Um, but That's the thing, though. It's the turning point. It is. People don't understand because you you build from from WrestleMania, you build the SummerSlam, right? And from SummerSlam, you build the Royal Rumble, but you don't really get out of the SummerSlam storylines until you wash your hands clean at Survivor Series and turn the page into now you're on the road to WrestleMania, basically, at, after Survivor Series, because the next stop is Royal Rumble, and that's the road to WrestleMania. So it's basically like, all right, we just got off the freeway. Here we are. Now we're, we take the next left, and that's the road, right? Yeah. So it it's it is it sets up so many storylines it's such a under underrated it's very underrated yeah you could say and i mean and and it's evolved and we'll get to that as we go along it's evolved over the years and shifted away from just this uh, it's been a brand thing yeah it's been a brand thing they shifted away from teams of five trying to survive to now you get big time title matches montreal screw jobs things like that but it's it still means a lot, though, even nowadays, for a guy to be a sole survivor or a survivor in a Survivor Series match. Oh, sure. And you can still tell some great stories through Survivor Series. And it's important sure. to remember that in 1987, this is the first non-WrestleMania pay-per-view that you get. And I think it's it's probably important from a historical standpoint that all this other stuff going on with Vince cutting the balls off of NWA with this event also, you know, you got to figure that Vince is looking at this saying, will people buy an event without the WrestleMania title to it? And this is his first attempt to see, are people going to support this? It doesn't have WrestleMania attached to it. This is something different. We're going to think outside the box and see if we can make money with this too. Obviously, they're going to. And that's going to persist with the creation of the other two events that are coming down the pike. But I always thought that the backstory to Survivor Series 87 far more interesting in a lot of ways than the event itself just because of what Vince did the stakes that were raised the line drawn in the sand evolution uh, as far as what Vince was doing between him and the NWA and Crockett promotions and really yeah WWF wasn't quite monopoly yet and they're not going to get there until really you know 13 years after this but you could see them the writings on the wall the battle lines are drawn. You can really see where we're going with this. This is going to persist for a long time. But you got any other thoughts about it? I mean, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, this this is a really huge watershed event in the history of pro wrestling. You know, no, it's not on the same level of WrestleMania 3, but it's a really big deal. You're capitalizing with Hogan and Andre again, right? And and all these stars you have. And you're saying, listen, this show is good enough. You You went to it. You had enough people... Yeah, enough enough eyeballs on it in person and otherwise from three that it's like, okay, we can do this again now. And then the fact to capitalize in another way and, and go against your, you know, your, your, your business adversary and, and strike that way as well is great. Storyline wise, like you said, the backstory is a little bit better than what's going on um, as far as on, on the screen, but wrestling wise this is a much better pay-per-view than wrestlemania 3 overall as far as in-ring action in my opinion yeah yeah i mean and let, let's get into it because 
the very first match in Survivor Series history. Listen to these teams. You know, we always talk about best Survivor Series teams of all time. Right off the bat, you get arguably the best Survivor Series team of all time. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Here we go. First match, you got the King Harley Race, Hercules, Danny Davis, Outlaw Ron Bass, and the Honky Tonk Man, who is, of course, the Intercontinental Champion at this point in time, taking on, get a load of this team, folks. Uh, yeah. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Brutus mm-hmm. the Barber Beefcake, Jake mm-hmm. the Snake Roberts, mm-hmm. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and the oh. Macho Man Randy Savage. I, before oh, yeah. we even talk about this, I, I mean, is that the best Survivor Series team of all time? I can't think of a better the, one. It's not the worst, that's for sure. That's um, for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> it depends on how you rate Jim Duggan, but yeah, it's really fucking good. <laughs> I mean, that's five Hall of Famers, isn't it? Should be. I mean, Steamboat. Yeah, I don't know if is Brutus a Hall of Famer. He should be. Uh, Fairly certain. Jake is. Duggan is. Savage certainly is. Um, let, let's talk about the matches and the eliminations. Uh, early on, Harley Race, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, they brawl on the floor. They both get counted out, so they're both eliminated. Um, then you get Savage and Brutus execute some nice blind tagging. Brutus is going to hit Outlaw Ron Bass with a high knee, and he eliminates him. So Bass is gone. Big surprise, Outlaw Ron Bass was out early. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Beefcake is going to get worked over. And he has a chance to... You're telling me we got a worked-over beefcake? A worked-over beefcake, yeah. He's got a chance to tag. He doesn't. Danny Davis hits him in the back with his knee. Honky Tonk hits Shake, Rattle, and Roll and eliminates Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So there's an elimination for Honky. We will see these two kind of reignite this leading into WrestleMania four. Um <laughs> Jake eliminates Danny Davis with an awesome DDT. What I love about this is the crowd at full throat chanting for the DDT. Just, I, I don't think that, you know, you see people chant for wrestlers. You see people chant, you know, get involved with, with certain things. I don't know if I've ever seen a crowd react quite like this to a move, you know? I mean, this move was more protected than 98% of the roster. Do you know what I'm saying? No one else did it. No one else got ever, ever got up from it. It was, it's probably, it's probably the best booked move for a period of time in the history of professional wrestling. Right. And people nowadays will look at this and say, what's the big deal? It's a DD fucking T back then when Jake hit you with that, you did not get up for a long time. I mean, you had the signal, you had the back slap, Ball game. Yeah, yeah. And and the setup was great. You had the signal, the short arm clothesline, and then the signal, and then the DDT. Got to remember, Bobby Heenan was trying to get the DDT move banned, storyline-wise. Sure. Um, sure. Jake hits Danny Davis with this. He's gone. Ricky Steamboat is then going to work over Hercules. Tags in Macho Man Randy Savage. He hits a flying elbow to eliminate Hercules. It makes it a three-on-one affair. Um Honky Tonk does the smart thing here, facing three Hall of Famers and three guys that he has serious issues with. Um, you know, he's going he's gonna to get worked over. He's going to take a bit of a beating. Honky decides it's simply not worth it. He leaves with Jimmy Hart, gets counted out. Savage Steamboat Jake Roberts are the first Survivor Series survivors in Survivor Series history. I think it's important, you know, here's one thing that we didn't talk about is... People are like, maybe don't know the back backstory. It's like, wait, 
Didn't Savage and Steamboat put on that great match at WrestleMania 83? How are they now on the same team a mere six months later? Um, I think, you know, you got to remember the incident with the guitar with Jake. Macho Man Randy Savage starts to challenge Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Championship. Honky does what Honky does repeatedly. And I'll say this. Honky Tonk Man, not the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time by in-ring standards. I want to ask you this. Is Honky Tonk Man the best booked Intercontinental Champion of all time? Just the way they presented him. He got the most out of a chicken shit motherfucker that he could. I'll tell you that because there are very, the, the opinion of him backstage for, for the large majority of people is he was a son of a bitch and a real pussy too. So, uh, we talked about the dynamite kid previously he, who bitch slapped the shit out of honky tonk man a couple times. If you go back and listen to some podcasts, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> the guy was a turd. And they shined him up real nice and strapped the strapped the belt on him for a while. And we talk about it all the time. And they got so much heat on him. And, and we'll talk about when we get to SummerSlam 88, when the Warrior finally dethrones him. I mean, I remember it distinctly. You were so sick of Honky because he never won clean. It was always bullshit. Every single I mean, time. Like WrestleMania 3, bullshit. Here, bullshit. He, did, he doesn't even have the balls to take this beating. He just leaves. Listen, I mean, you maybe not integrity wise, you don't compare it that way or anything, but like rub wise, like I always preach about, let's just let it be nuclear. Like Roman holds this title. I've t- I, I said this over a year ago, Roman holds this title to face the rock in, in, in Hollywood. It's going to be nuclear heat guys. We're going to be so you're already fucking sick of Roman reigns, you know, like these that's why i think people just loved the 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 wrestling and the booking so much back then is because less was so much fucking more and time made you want and need different things and when you didn't get them ooh, it hurt so bad but when you got them it felt so damn good no you're exactly right they have built roman is very much i mean okay (laughs) let's not compare roman to honky tonk man in any facet in ring no, but you think, but they're think about long the title reigns. Yes. Long title reigns with wanting to the guy to lose and get rid of the belt. I mean, you, it's fun. The The best thing we can do in doing this big four for me is fun to is compare this product to what we see now and see how it's vastly the same. You look at look at what when Warrior dethrones Honky. We'll get to that. The rocket was strapped to him the moment that three count came down because you were so amped that somebody finally dethroned him we've talked about it on your show before the person who dethrones roman reigns finally oh my god the push that that guy's going to get for pulling that off is astronomical when you consider how long roman's had the title and how long he might just hold it and you got to figure it's not going to be the rock the rock doesn't need that push so who then when that happens it's going to be even bigger than when warrior beat honky tonk but the other thing about this match though that that is worth mentioning is savage because along the way on the road to survivor series not too far before this happens you get the beginning of what i consider the greatest story in the history of professional wrestling which is namely the formation rise and explosion of the mega powers and it happens 
in a what a Saturday night's main event with Savage taking on Honky and Honky and the Heart Foundation teaming up to slam a guitar over Macho's head. Liz getting shoved down by Honky Tonk Man. She goes to get Hulk Hogan. Hulk and Savage clean the ring, shake hands, and then you get that cocaine-induced promo in the backstage area, which is absolutely epic and classic and fine, whatever. Um, but it's it kicks off the formation of the Mega Powers, and it's the first time you see these two rivals suddenly come together. And we are literally off and running for about two years or so, so-ish, um, as to this storyline, which I still think to this day it's the greatest story that's ever been told in pro wrestling history, bar none. It really mirrors like real life though, too. You know, that's the thing with those two that that's why, that's why it's so, it's like we talk about guys that are successful getting over that they take part of themselves and turn it up to 10. And that's what that relationship was. That's who macho man was. I mean, that's what Hogan was to a degree. You know, if you, you listen to a lot of his interviews and you, if you believe what he says and, you know, we talk about it from strictly from a, 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 a fan of, of the work kind of thing and not necessarily the guy, but he was pretty fucking smart. He was. And you're right. I mean, you could see and you hear about it. Hogan and Savage had a very hot and cold relationship. Oh, yeah. And a lot of that revolved around Elizabeth. <laughs> That's for damn sure. So anyway, we could beat this to death. But yeah, the first you got Ricky Steamboat, Jake Roberts, Randy Macho Man Savage, the first ever survivors at Survivor Series. That's one hell of a trio to leave there as the sole survivors. Um, From there, we get the ladies in a Survivor Series match. You got the Glamour Girls, who are the ladies tag team champions at the time. You've got Don Marie. You've got Donna Christian. 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 Yeah. I don't know, Christianello, something like that, I think. Christian, Christianello. Christianello, thank you. And then you've got the sensational Sherry, well before she's Queen Sherry, who's the ladies champion. So on one team, you've got ladies tag champ and the ladies champion taking on Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin, the Jumping Bomb Angels, and the former champion, the fabulous Moolah, the longest reigning champion in the history of champions anywhere. Roman's got nothing on her. Or any, no one's gonna ever match her. Um, Velvet McIntyre eliminates Christianello with a head scissors into a pinning combination. Rock and Robin is going to eliminate Don Marie with a high cross body. Sherry eliminates Rock and Robin with a slam and a guess it was kind of like a suplex sort of maneuver. Fabulous Moolah is gonna get caught with a double clothesline by the Glamour Girls. She gets eliminated. Velvet McIntyre is actually going to pin Sherry after a giant swing and a variation of a victory roll. Um, and then you've got, who's this? Leilani Kai counters a Velvet McIntyre victory roll by slingshotting her off the top rope into a variation of a backdrop for the pin. Um, and this leaves the Glamour Girls versus the Jumping Bomb Angels at the end of this whole thing. Uh, Leilani Kai gets eliminated with a flying body press. Jimmy Hart, his bad year continues, gets drop kicked off the apron. Judy Martin then gets pinned after getting hit with a nice flying clothesline. The Jumping Bomb Angels are the sole survivors. Um, I guess, you know, talk about the match, but I also want to talk to you and ask you, how is it that the Jumping Bomb Angels did not become a bigger deal 
because my lord, were they talented or what? Are you talking about Itsuki Yamazaki and Norio Tateno? I think so. There you go. I got you there. Thank I got you. Your back. I, I, was, I had no I was, idea what their names were. Thank you, Tony. I was, pra- I was practicing them. Um, I, I'm known as the the pronunciation uh, guy, and I'm sure the Balaz will tell me I got the second one wrong there. But um, they're not here, so fuck them. Yeah, fuck you, Balaz. You belie motherfuckers. Um, listen to Pot as far. Um, they're they're just. I mean, they, didn't they seem like a little bit head and shoulders above the rest of them in the ring? I left the match thinking, my God, how did these two slip under the ring? I understand this is a different era. It's not like we are now. And they're, you know, and as marginalized and, and watered down as the women's tag team titles are now. Oh, they got. You look at this. Listen, BTW, fourth pay-per-view ever. The women got 20 minutes, by the way. Yeah. I mean, in a Survivor Series match, 20 minutes. That's pretty impressive. So. I mean, I, I dug the match. I, I think, like you're saying, the Jumping Bomb Angels were just way, way head and shoulders above the Glamour Girls at this point in time. And, and it just, yeah, I just, I don't know. What what do you think? I mean, just the, they were wrong era, wrong time, wrong place at the wrong time, or or where do they where do they not connect? Uh, they got on this WWE pay per view. That that says something. It wasn't easy to do back then. That's true. What do, what do you think of this match? I mean, like you said, women got 20 minutes. Um, some of it's better than others. Some of the girls really stood out from the other ones. How Moolah is still a part of things at this point, I don't know. but I'd say probably around a six and a half-ish. Yeah. It, so maybe a little less than that. It wasn't bad. It was It was not bad. Um, yeah, the, the Angels ahead of their time for sure. But yeah, you know, it's pretty good. pretty solid match. You get the jumping bomb angels as the sole survivors here at Survivor Series. Uh, we then get a, a, I mean, just, I don't know how many people you can fit on the ring apron sort of match is coming up here. This is the tag team eliminator. <laughs> I thought it was the funnest match of the night. Probably. Yeah. You got the, the Bolsheviks demolition, the dream team version two, I guess the Islanders and the heart foundation. Holy shit. You think of that. I mean, other than the Bolsheviks, um, like wow that's one hell of a lineup they take on another hell of a lineup the british bulldogs the young stallions the rougeau brothers the killer bees and strike force the aforementioned tag team champions uh in this match when one guy's eliminated so too is his partner but we talked about it earlier along the way on the way from wrestlemania 3 to survivor series rick martell teams up with tito santana Rick Martell, I think he got the anvil. I don't know if it was the anvil or the hitman to tap out to a Boston gra- Boston crab, probably in Boston, Massachusetts, no less. And Strike Force became the WWF Tag Team Champions, dethroning the Hart Foundation. Interesting match. Uh, but you know, on the one side, you've got you know Demolition just now coming in to the WWF and starting to get going. Um, you got the Islanders. You got the Hearts. Uh, unbelievable talent on both sides of the ring in this match, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't go <laughs> Could you, you know, they say, if you want to see, be successful, cast a big net. So, I mean, there's a shit ton of people out there. Uh, it, like you said, uh, can it's almost like a, it's like a apron lumberjack match. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like there's like literally, and there's it's hard to see what's going on sometimes because there's so you, many people on the apron. You can, yeah, you you need to have fu- they had they had to do funky ankles to come off the ropes and avoid people and move around too. You know, yeah, they did. It was it, it's something you would never do again. You'd never have that many people out there like no. that for that long because this match was a long time. That where, what are we at here? I'm thinking uh, 37 minutes for this match. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it did it did go kind of long, a little bit too long, obviously. Uh, chime in here wherever you want. I'm just going to run through what happened, no, the no. eliminations, and we'll we'll pick it up there. Tito Santana eliminates Boris Zukov with a flying forearm, like, early. Early in the match. I mean, Zukov, not too uncommon for him to get minute right and there. A minute, minute and a half. A minute and a half. half. Yeah, exactly. Um, Axe is going to pin Jacques Rougeau after Jacques is going to misfire on a crossbody block from the second rope. The Rougeaus are gone. Demolition, though, is going to get disqualified when Smash decides he's going to take out some frustration on the referee. Demolition's gone. Tito Santana hits the anvil with the flying forearm, but Brett's going to make the save with a fist to the back of Tito's head. The anvil then is going to cover, make the cover, and he pins Tito Santana to eliminate Strike Force, the champions. I'm going to start by right here a little bit. <laughs> interesting booking decision to get rid of the champs at the hands of the former champs. And this really never comes, comes of anything because the hearts never get a title shot again before the strike force drops the titles to demolition at WrestleMania four. Interesting move here though. I liked it kind of showing some vulnerability for the champs. Yeah. I it's the, the tag team division is so solid now moving forward here, right? Like this is like the golden era of WWE oh, yeah. tag team championship wrestling. Absolutely. The golden era indeed. I mean, it doesn't get, I mean, you add a few elements here and there, like when the Legion of doom comes in and things like that, nasty boys, teams like that, but nothing to this level. Um, so strike force is gone. Haku is going to kick out a Davy boys running power slam, which is shocking. And then he gets the better of uh, of things when Dynamite is going to hit him with a headbutt off the second rope. Haku then hits Dynamite with his reverse thrust kick, and the Bulldogs are sent packing in this thing. So the Islanders get the better of the British Bulldogs on this thing after Haku kicks out. I guess it's before Davy Boy's running power slam was the finisher that it ends up being. And then the Islanders get the better of things when, when Dynamite kind of misfires, you know, still recovering from things, but... There you go. The Islanders get the elimination here. Dino Bravo is then going to hit Jimmy Powers with the side suplex. Dino Bravo's patented side suplex, a move that doesn't look like much, but was pretty much lights out during this era. Um, Interesting decision, though. Bravo hits this move, decides to tag in Greg the Hammer Valentine so the Hammer can administer the figure four leg lock. But Jimmy Powers tags in Paul Roma. Valentine never sees this. Paul Roma executes executes a beautiful sunset flip off the top rope, and the Dream Team is sent packing by the Young Stallions. It's like, wow, okay. Um, we then get a big double team move that big that kind of backfires. This Haku is going to drop kick Jim Brunzel as the Hitman holds him, but the momentum is going to carry Brunzel on top of Brett to pin him and eliminates the Heart Foundation. Like, damn. So you've got the killer bees, then they get creative. I guess we'll call it creative. Donning their masks, so you don't know who the hell's who, to pull the switcheroo as B. Brian Blair is not the legal man. 
but he still executes a perfect slingshot sunset flip to pin <laughs> Tama. And the killer bees but, and young stallions are the sole survivors. Twin magic, Dave. Twin magic. Twin magic before it was cool. Uh, before the Bellas made it even better. But, uh, you know, all right. So you yeah, mentioned. Twin, twin magic is always better with boobs. That's true. Absolutely. Very true. Very apropos. Very good point. You just made there, Mr. <laughs> Tunney. Um, so you mentioned it earlier, 37 minutes. But this thing is an excellent, really up-tempo match. Um, and similar to my question with the Jumping Bomb Angels, you look at the sole survivors of this match, the Killer Bees and the Young Stallions. What went wrong there? Neither one really capitalized on this huge moment. Here you are in this big mega event. You're the sole survivors. Killer Bees and Young Stallions, nothing ever happened. And the Young Stallions, you watch this match, my Lord, you got guys with tremendous bodies, lots of talent. The professional wrestlers? And superstars, Dave. Professional wrestlers and superstars. Which one which one would you put them in the category of? Oh. They're absolutely pro wrestlers. And that's that's not Vince is not in the business of professional wrestlers. No, but I, I mean and I get what you're saying, but when you look at well, yeah, when you look at where we are at this point, Strike Force is a champion, you got all these teams who are kind of similar, you know. Young Stallion, similar to Strike Force. Killer B, similar to Strike Force. Heart Foundation, a little bit different. Bulldogs. You look where they're going to end up going with Demolition taking the titles. Now, those guys, superstars, not pro wrestlers, superstars. Yeah, def- definitely. With that look, with that music. So you see where we're going. Um, but like you said, 37 minutes. The pace that these teams kept up for most of that 37 minutes was really inspiring i'd love to know i'd love to know who the producer was for this match i bet you pat patterson had his hands all over this one it could not have been easy to coordinate with all those people to keep the action going as well as they did um it's probably the best match of the night would you say yeah for sure in ring one thousand percent it's not even close to be honest with you yeah, just great up-tempo stuff the whole time uh kind of a surprise finish i know like as they went on jesse was just like burying the young stallions at least 10 different times like it's over and they would kick out it's got to be over nope they kick out um man just just oh i mean yeah and what a what a way to get them over by burying them you know that's right they keep exceeding expectations uh you get a great segment showing the million dollar man having way too much fun tormenting children women and pool owners with his money this is this is leading into where we're going to go pretty soon with the whole everything leading into WrestleMania four. But Million Dollar Man, not a part of any of the matches here. But you get this is an important segment in the evolution of the Million Dollar Man character. I mean, Ted DiBiase, one of the greatest superstars to never really wrestle that much. <laughs> he didn't really he didn't he had didn't have many matches in the WWF. He didn't yeah. a lot of, you know, comp- if you want to see good Ted DiBiase matches, you got to go back to what was he? Was he in Mid South? Is that yeah, where he was? He was, he was. But you, you, and you're absolutely right. Ted didn't wrestle as much as in the past, but arguably, next to Hogan and Savage, the most important person in WWF leading into WrestleMania Four. Uh superstar. Absolutely, and a wrestler at the same time. 
he had it both. He had both. Ish. Savage, yeah, Savage was the same way, you know? And, and you see where we end up at WrestleMania four. Who's there standing at the end? These two pro wrestling superstars. So, uh, exactly. but I love, I love this segment. We get, um, honky tonk man comes on. He's talking shit to Hulk Hogan and macho man, Randy Savage, probably not the best of maneuvers, but like we yeah. said, this is uh this is where the mega powers are starting to gestate and become a big thing. And that's going to persist. Um, then we get the main event of survivor series and it is ravishing. This team's hell of good too. ravishing Rick rude, King Kong Bundy, butch Reed, the one man gang and Andre, the giant. There's a lot of beef on that side of the ring there, Tony. Uh, they're taking on the team of bam, bam, Bigelow. Ken Pen- Ken Patera, The Rock Don Morocco, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who I guess is now back to being a babyface, and with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, uh, don't forget uh or Mr. Paul Orndorff with Oliver Humperdinck. Was he was Humperdinck with him or Bam Bam? I think he was with Orndorff. I know he's with Bam Bam at WrestleMania 4, so I don't know. But you're right, Oliver Humperdinck is there at ringside, so let's not belittle that whole thing. Um Sticking but, on the manager theme, sorry. What's that? It's, it's just getting to add into the manager theme, you know? Yeah, and, and I think on the other side, you've got Heenan, you've got Slick. You've oh, got, it's uh, basically Butch Reed and the Heenan family over there. <laughs> That's right, Butch Reed and the Heenan family. Exactly. Um, Man, for a main event, you know, you look at these teams and they're like, wow, Rude, Bundy, Reed, Gang, Andre, Bigelow, Patera? Yeah. <laughs> Morocco, Orndorff, and Hor- at the okay. time, Ken Patera was a pretty big deal, though I think. Yeah, yeah, I I could see that. Uh, I maybe a few re- maybe a few years removed from being a big deal, but he was Ken Patera is a bad dude. <laughs> yeah, literally a bad dude. So uh, Hogan's team is going to get off to a pretty electrifying start as Hogan and Orndorff are going to drop Reed with a double clothesline. Hulk hits the big leg drop and eliminates the natural in the early moments of the match. The gang and Ken Patera basically clothesline each other. The gang falls on top of Patera and Ken Patera is eliminated. Paul Orndorff sets up Ravishing Rick Rude for the dreaded pal driver, but King Kong Bundy is going to nail him from behind. Rude is then going to roll up, roll up Orndorff, hooking the tights and eliminating Mr. Wonderful in ravishing fashion. Then we get Hulk Hogan and the, the Rock Don Morocco working over Ravishing Rick Rude and the Rock, the original Rock, not if you smell what I'm cooking Rock, is going to put Ravishing Rick Rude away with the power slam. Morocco's then going to get thrown into Andre the Giant who headbutts him and the gang is going to finish off Morocco with the 747 big splash. Then we get, you know, and, and they they do pretty well with this match as teasing Hogan and Andre the whole time without really giving it to you. You get a little bit of it. Hogan and Andre go at it, but it's really brief. They don't ever pay it off here in this match. Um, They go at it a little bit. Hogan then starts brawling with the one man gang and King Kong Bundy outside the ring. Hogan is going to end up slamming Bundy and gang on the floor, but Hulk doesn't realize he's being counted out and Hulk Hogan is eliminated at a pay-per-view. Hulk's gone. And people are like, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened? Um, Facing a three-on-one deficit, we get to see the stark contrast between Honky Tonk Man to kick off the show, facing a three-on-one and saying, fuck this, I'm out of here. Bam Bam 
is going to stand his ground and try and win this thing. He avoids an avalanche by King Kong Bundy, hits him with a slingshot splash, and eliminates King Kong Bundy. When Man Gang comes in, misses a splash from the top rope, Bam Bam is going to drape an arm over him and pins him to eliminate the gang. And they do a very good job of teasing Miracle in the ring. You know, God ruled a miracle on ice. Can Bam Bam Bigelow pull this shit off? No, he can't. He tries to avoid Andre for as long as he can, but Andre's still a bad dude. Yes, he's not the most nimble guy anymore. He's still a bad dude. Andre eventually catches Bam Bam, hits him with that underhook suplex. It's a shitty move. It's a shitty finisher, but whatever. It's Andre. All he's got to do is lay on you, and that's what he does here. He uses that to pin Pam, pin Bam Bam Bigelow. Andre the Giant is the sole survivor. I don't think people realize that. Post-match, Hulk Hogan hits the ring, hits Andre with his title belt. This, of course, is all going to set the stage for the oh-so-controversial main event coming up in February 5th, 1988 at, in Indianapolis. Of course, we got to get to the Rumble before we get to that. But, you know, the thing is that people don't realize at the end of all this, it's Andre the Giant who's the sole survivor here, not Hulk Hogan. So a little bit of a get-your-win-back sort of situation in a little sure. different kind of fashion. Uh, not as good a match as the very first one. But still, you know, I give kudos Bam Bam Bigelow at the end of this whole thing. Stood his ground. You got to give him points for standing in there, getting, you know, think about it. Bam Bam Bigelow eliminates the one-man gang and King Kong Bundy to survive this thing and get down to her. It's just one-on-one with him and Andre. No shame in losing to Andre the Giant. Pretty good match. I I dug it. A little bit of a, uh, you know, you, you get... Andre with a little bit of payback, but it's smart what they did here because this just builds all that momentum going to that big rematch that's coming up in the early part of 1988. Uh, Bam Bam does pretty well for himself uh, being the last one left with Andre, you know, moving forward, you know, Uh, nice stepping stone for Bam Bam here. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is all about, you know, making Andre important, getting to the next step. This is a whole big storyline here. It's a whole big arc. It's one of the most original, long-standing arcs um, and well-deservedly respected as amazing quality as well in storytelling. And you brought up all the different things that go into it that underlie uh, with it, whether it be Macho Man or Ted DiBiase and things of that nature. Bobby Heenan's in there, right? you got Piper's Pit and everything else. So... Just a great time in professional wrestling, Dave, 1987. Yeah, 87 to 88, or really 87 to 90 is the sweet spot for this era of pro wrestling. Um, But yeah, at the end of this whole thing, I'd say the experiment worked pretty well, Tony. I'll I'll go this, I'll give the score first, Survivor Series 87. I'm giving this an 8 out of 10 for the very first Survivor Series. I'll go 8 out of 10 on this. Lots to enjoy. That tag elimination match, fantastic. 37 minutes, like you said, of just up-tempo balls to the wall most of the time. That first team that, that we talked about, Savage, Steamboat, Roberts, Beefcake, Duggan. I, I, yeah, I challenge anybody, please, at Attitude Ag or even send something to at PC Tunny. Let us know if you've got a better Survivor Series team. I'd like to see them because I can't remember one. And, uh, it's a good I, question. Yeah, it's a really good question. AJ, Belaz, trivia sometime. You know, hey. Um, but yeah, I give it an eight out of 10, eight out of 10. What do you, what do you got for this event, Tony? 
I'll go seven again. Um, it, 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 it's interesting if we could do a point something I would do, I would have done mania and, and, and um, the survivor series that we've reviewed uh, a seven point something, but regardless of whether it's over, would have been over a seven and a half or under a seven and a half, neither one of them to me deserve an eight, like them both at a seven. That works for me, man. I, I can live with that seven. Mine is an eight, seven and a half. It's probably where it really is. Seven and a half, I'd say, is, is a solid, respectable number for the very first Survivor Series. That, my friends, is chapter two of the big four projects, WrestleMania three, Survivor Series 87. What do you think? Very important, very important chapter. Oh, it's um, huge, huge chapter. If you, I mean, this big four series, you know, if you're covering them two at a time and that's the chapter goes... You're going to look back and say chapter two was one interesting cornerstone and stepping stone and, and really kind of, you know, we did the whole Seinfeld thing on DWI podcast. I felt like, you know, a lot of, a lot of that happens early on too. So it's really interesting to compare the future, uh, to the past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, chapter three will be very interesting because it'll be the first Royal rumble, 1988, uh, very different. When you compare that to any Royal Rumble that happens after that, it is very different. One of the most, it's the most underwhelming Royal Rumble ever. It is. It is. It's not even the main event. And we're going to talk about that. I mean, there's a different man. But, you know, the great thing about that, and we'll get into it, is the reaction of Jesse Body, Body of Ventura as that match goes on, where you can hear in his voice that he's like, oh, shit, we are on to something. It's really awesome to go and watch that. It's it's a and, and it really goes a long way. The Hulk Andre contract signing really goes a long way to set that up for the main event in February of '88. And then second part will be WrestleMania Four, which is one of the more important WrestleManias, I think. Even though it's not one of the better ones, matches are too short, but you get a huge shift in things and the crowning of a a new superstar at WrestleMania. And it's one of my favorite WrestleManias of all time, despite its shortcomings so yeah that's going to be fun to talk about that it's a it's a it's a big moment with the uh crowning of the macho man randy savage as champion tony i certainly hope you enjoyed this chapter of oh. the big four project and talking about this with me i love having you on it was a yes. great discussion um good analysis good recapping important time you know we're a week away from wrestlemania 38 we're here we are talking about wrestlemania 3 so uh before i let you go man let people know where can they find the one and only PC Tunny all over <laughs> the interwebs. Yeah, check me out on Twitter and Facebook at PC Tunny. Make sure you listen to everything Chairshot Radio Network on all of your favorite streaming platforms. TheChairShot.com, always use your head. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash TheChairShot. DWI Podcast Saturday mornings. Uh, Pod is War Friday mornings. PC and Platt Thursday mornings. And, of course, Bandwagon Nerds Monday mornings right here with uh, my good friend, Big Dave Ungar and Patrick O'Dowd, Aesop Mitchell, Chris Platt, and of course, the one and only Ray Cash. Best friends. That's right. We are best friends. You know, it's like that scene, Besties. scene from the hangover. We're the best friends anybody could have or whatever Alan says. <laughs> I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, this was excellent. Can't wait to. Uh, hopefully, you can do these more with me because this is a good time. And I would tell you what. I think uh, a good way to get Platt on one of these is when a chapter lines up that doesn't involve a WrestleMania, if you know what I mean. 
yeah, I think he's covered WrestleMania a little bit to his uh, <laughs> to his annoyance. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe like let's see what is chapter. This is two, three. Chapter four would be the first SummerSlam and Survivor Series '88. That would be fun for him because you get to see the the slow degeneration of the Mega Powers in all of its glory. So. Well, I'm in for chapter three if you need me. Let me know. Oh, absolutely. You'll be the first person I will be going to, Mr. Tunney. Thank you again, PC. And uh, we will be talking to you soon, man. All right, folks. We are back. That was it. A, a very informative. I go hope you guys really enjoyed that discussion that Tunney and I had here on the Big Four Project, chapter two, episode 274, The Attitude of Aggression. Hope you guys had a good time. Learned, maybe even learned a little something along the way. Um, so kind of recapping a little bit, you know, the stuff we talked about, about WrestleMania 38. Like I said at the outset, not a whole lot has changed since then. Um, we'll see what happens. We're a couple days away. Friday, uh, the SmackDown before Mania night one should be interesting to see what kind of, uh, if anything breaks loose at that point in time, anything new. I think the biggest thing that happened on Raw last night, other, you know, was kind of uh, Amos and Bobby Lashley. Lashley's going to take him on. Lashley looks like he might be poised to become a babyface and a pretty big one at that. We will have to see how that comes about. You know, as far as WrestleMania 3, you heard all of our, you know, our discussion and our recap about a lot of things that had gone down at WrestleMania 3. Uh, you know, of course, it is one of the most iconic WrestleManias of all time. The first really, really big crowd that we got at WrestleMania. And they don't get much bigger than what we got in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, you know, I... I I mean, I think when I look back at Mania 3, what sticks out to me, like three big matches really stick out to me. Of course, uh, Adrian Adonis, Roddy Piper, the retirement match, we discussed that and how they were such really good friends in real life and, and that sort of thing, and, and just kind of how that all came to be. Savage Steamboat, of course, is a match that's been analyzed too many times to count, even by us on this show, on DWI, on anything that you've heard on the chairshot.com. It's... It's an iconic match for a reason. Um, it's it's unique that 35 years later, it still holds up very well, you know. And at, at a time in a time where false finishes are a you know everyday sort of thing, um, you really had not seen a match like that at that time. And if you watch it back now and compare it by modern standards, the reason it holds up is because these aren't like. These aren't like false finishes for the sake of false finishes where somebody's, you know, hit a finishing move and they kick out at two and, and this goes on for 20 minutes there. It's just it's a lot of near falls. So I've heard false finishes used, but it's really a near falls sort of situation. Lots of two counts, uh, lots of good action, flawlessly conducted this match. It's still you cannot find. You will not find a mistake made by either of the guys in this match. Really, I, I don't. I've watched it back at least 30 times by now in my life. I've never really caught anything that stands out as a as a as a botch of any sort. And then of course, Hogan Andre, which, you know, 35 years ago today, you know, the discussion that we had as to I readily admit it is not the greatest match in WrestleMania history, uh, not from a technical standpoint or really from any other standpoint. But I do stand by what I said during the discussion with Tunney that is this the most important match in WrestleMania history? Probably. Because really, if you think about it, if, if Hogan Andre bombs um, and doesn't live up to the expectations that anywhere between 78 and 93,000 people had when they showed up in, in Pontiac, Michigan that day, 
the industry really changes. And yeah, and I've heard, you know, Dave Meltzer talk about it on the HBO special where they really couldn't fail unless Andre got hurt. And I think I think Dave's probably right about that. Uh, I think that the risk of Andre getting hurt is probably greater than anybody has let on. And he was in pretty bad shape, but he valiantly performed, put Hulk over. It's fa- always fascinating to me. What did everybody know? You know, is it like Hulk and Bobby Heenan said where they didn't know the finish? They didn't know whether Andre was going to lay down and do the job uh, until right there when it happened in the ring. Did they know more than that? How much did Vince know? I mean, I'm sure Vince knew it all. And he probably had a good enough relationship with Andre that he went along with whatever bullshit Andre might have been trying to pull on Hulk. Uh, but yeah, I think I think from the standpoint of taking pro wrestling and you compare it to like where we were with WrestleMania 1 and 2. And don't get me wrong. I said it in Chapter 1. WrestleMania 1 was a huge spectacle. No question. WrestleMania 3 was a different monster entirely from what you got at WrestleMania one. And yes, if WrestleMania one doesn't succeed, you never get to this point. I grant you that. But when you look at WrestleMania three and how big that was and the magnitude of that event and everything about it, you know, I think the tagline for WrestleMania three was bigger, better, badder or something like that. Uh, I'd have to look that up again just to make sure, but everything about WrestleMania three was absolutely bigger, better and badder. Yeah. Okay. Some of that can be debatable, but in general, this is the card where you get your first truly great WrestleMania match. And I think that combined with Hogan Andre really set it went so far as establishing WrestleMania as something other than just a pro wrestling card or even a pro wrestling super card. This was event television now, whether it was on pay-per-view or whatever, this became an event unto itself. And you're going to see that progress you know they're going to go away from the big stadiums for four and five of course and go to the uh atlantic city convention center and then they'll come back to the big stadium for wrestlemania six but this this event really combining this with hulk hogan and hulkamania and the rise of that and then they start getting some stars who could hang in there with them and talk about star power and this kind of leads into survivor series 87 and the beginning of like i said during the episode the most important story arc, the best storytelling that WWE has ever done is the formation, the rise and the fall of the mega powers. You could try and debate me on that. If you want, have fun with that. I will die on the Hill and die gladly on the Hill. That says that that is the best form of storytelling that's ever been done in professional wrestling. Um, You know, you're talking about two years, a two-year story being told over multiple pay, not just multiple events, but ushering in really the big four pay-per-views. You know, you're telling the story over Survivor Series 87, which is the first non-WrestleMania pay-per-view. And, you, you know, you have the continuation of the Hulk-Andre story arc. But you also have the, just prior to Survivor Series, this Macho Man Randy Savage incident where he gets hit in the head with the guitar by Honky Tonk Man, forcing Liz to get Hulk Hogan. Mega powers are born. And then we are off to the races when 1988 starts. Um, yeah, I think, you know, talking about that first Survivor Series, that team, man, I mentioned it to Tunney. I don't know if they've ever had a better Survivor Series team than that very first team in that very first match, which consisted of Macho Man Randy Savage, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts, right? You had Jake the Snake Roberts on that team. You had Hacksaw Jim Duggan and... um. And Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I mean, that 
for that time frame, 1987, and you look at how many of those guys are in the Hall of Fame now, or should be, uh, wow, that's that to me, and especially I love the end of that match where it's basically the three biggest stars standing there. Everybody who's got issues with Honky, Jake from WrestleMania three and getting hit in the head with the guitar, Savage obviously from getting hit in the in the head with the guitar weeks earlier. And of course, you know, you had Ricky Steamboat who had the Intercontinental Championship taken from him by Honky. So it was a very well done Survivor Series. Very good event. Excellent. The first one, the Young Stallions, that tag team Survivor Series match was awesome. Um, and then, you know, the last match, kind of a, a little bit of a win back for Andre. Not much, but a little bit. But anyway, I thought I, you know, I, I really hope that you guys enjoyed that episode. Chapter two of the Big Four Project. Uh, I, you know, I think we turned it up a notch on this one uh, with all due respect to what Ray and I did in chapter one. I think there's a little bit more meat on the bone with WrestleMania three and Survivor Series 87. than you got with WrestleMania's one and two. So that had a lot to do with it, I'm sure. So uh, but I thought I, of course, always enjoyed being talking with Ray or Tony or Patrick or, or Greg or, or Platt or, you know, Aesop or any of the guys about pro wrestling. And, uh, and I don't get to do it enough cause I'm <laughs> too focused on the nerd stuff, but it's all good. That my friends is going to do it for this installment of the attitude of aggression wrestling podcast, episode 274 in the books on chapter three of the big four project, which I think Tony and I are planning to do in a couple weeks. Uh, we will be covering the 1988 Royal rumble, the very first Royal rumble, which is uh, considerably different than any of the other Royal rumbles that, <laughs> that we get after this, uh, as the Royal Rumble match is not even the main event of the first one, but it's still very important because, like I said during this, the you will listen, you can hear it in Jesse's voice that he knows they are onto something and something big. Um, chapter three will also include WrestleMania four, which of course is massive because it is where Macho Man Randy Savage breaks through, captures the WWF Championship, and really solidifies himself as not just like you know the intercontinental championship tier of where things were in WWF at the time, but very at the very, very top, the very top, you know, I, I, the guy who was going to carry that company for a year while Hulk was off filming movies or doing whatever the fuck he was doing. Um, and Savage was the guy who got tagged by Vince to run with that. So it's very, very cool. Um, before we cut, cut out of here, some contact information. If you like this episode, you liked what you heard, you got any sort of comments, you want to talk to me about anything, shoot me an email, attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. I'll be sure to read your stuff on the air and answer any questions you have, Any talk about any comments, that sort of thing. Uh, love to hear from the fans out there talking about wrestling. If you want to follow us as far as social media goes, you can follow us on Twitter. That is at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G. You can also go to Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. If you go there, please hit that like button. We greatly appreciate it. You can check us out on Instagram, although I don't do a whole lot on Instagram. Every once in a while, something pops up there. That's at Attitude of Aggression, all one word. Uh, if you're listening to the show on any of the social media platforms, such as uh, Apple Music or wherever the show shows up, I'm not even sure where we show up nowadays. But if you hear it and you like what you hear on whatever platform you're listening to us on, please leave us a five-star review if they provide such an option. Let's people know that uh, old Dave knows what he's talking about and you enjoy the show. That, my friends, is going to do it for episode number 274 of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, chapter two of the Big Four Project. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys, like I always do, to stay aggressive and do it with attitude, but we are going to leave out of here 
the closing moments of one of the most iconic matches in professional wrestling history and a match that took place 35 years ago today as I'm recording this. The closing moments of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant for the WWF Championship, WrestleMania 3, 1987. We will catch you guys soon for Chapter 3 of the Big Four Project. Take care. At least we won't get a count out. I did not want to see any count out. I want to see a winner. Absolutely. Andre now with an Irish whip in. He missed the hook swept underneath that. Oh, he dropped it. the big guy. Look at Heenan. He's been out of shape. That's the first time I think that the Giants ever been knocked off his feet like that. Look at the look on the face of the champion. He's hooking up, Jess. I don't know if he's got enough left in him. That adrenaline can do wonders. We're seeing what this guy is really made of. What he is. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, dropping a big leg. Over for the cover. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.